Restaurant Unstoppable episode 1028 with Yanni Carapana Giotis. I would say, and I tell everybody this, you know, if you can make it two years in the red, break even year three, and then wait for year four to see that profit, that's realistic. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, Profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and your labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time creating great guest experience. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Look, there is a lot of elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Like, are you connecting with your diners and with the right message? And could your kitchen put out more orders than your dining room has room for? There's so much to consider, and it can be overwhelming when you got into this business for the food and the people, and that's why I recommend Pop Menu, and that's why restaurants get Pop Menu, frankly. Pop Menu is technology for restaurants that are ready to grow. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Restaurant owners and operators, you can make a difference in the lives of your staff and their families by supporting CORE, which stands for Children of Restaurant Employees. CORE is a national nonprofit that provides financial grants to food and beverage service employees with children when either the employee, their child, or their partner faces a life-altering medical crisis or natural disaster. Not only can you share CORE as a benefit in resource with your staff, you can also donate directly or host a fundraising promotion. Core critically needs your financial support to continue to provide relief to restaurant employees that qualify for a grant when life does not go as planned. Support of Core allows you to give back to your employees and restaurant families across the country. Visit coregives.org to learn more. Together, we can make a difference 
in the lives of those who serve us daily. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founder of Kara Restaurant Group and co-host of Restaurant Punk, the podcast, Yanni Karapanajotis. Yo, yo, yo. My man, Yanni, are What's you feeling on? unstoppable oh, today? Oh, you know it. Yeah, man. Unstoppable. <laughs> unstoppable. As long as I don't get married again, because I'm married to the restaurant business. Yeah. Till it, death do us part. We, yeah, unstoppable. It is definitely like having a second wife. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, or yeah. Uh, only wife. Only wife. <laughs> oh, just one. Just one. Uh, I mean, I'm really excited to be talking to you. I'm excited to let the, the listeners know about your podcast that you guys just recently launched. How many episodes are you up to now? I believe uh, 60. 60? 60, 61. So what, has it been a couple of years? No, man. We do uh, two a week. We're shooting nice. over and over again. And we're, we're a little bit uh, ahead. But, you know. Good for you. Yeah, why not, brother? Awesome. Uh, so I'm sure we'll talk about that before we say goodbye. Uh, the listeners will know where to find you. But you reached out. Uh, I, I looked into the group. I saw that you guys have, I think, what is it? A total of five concepts and 13 locations. Yes, an correct. Event, an event operation and a catering operation which yes. i think is interesting it's a uh, yeah it's it's two separate entities but okay. it's you know in the same realm and uh, a total of so out of those five concepts 13 with 14 with a 14th on the way in correct years. correct i also know your byob which i think is really interesting welcome to jersey brother I'm, let's I'm, go I'm interesting into the economics of that all right uh, and i noticed that you have a lot of operating partners and if anybody listens to the show and this isn't i mean i get the the pros and cons of partners no partners but i don't know how you can be the best unless you're a freak of nature and most of us aren't without having some partners to, to, to execute so you, you're doing a lot of things I'm interested in. I can't wait to dive into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Ooh, I'm going to go with my favorite of all time, which I say on a daily basis, and it might be a little cliche. You might have heard this one before, but it's my favorite. Consistency builds credibility mm. over and over and over again. I'll I might, package that. I might get a tattoo of that on my ass, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> So get, like, unpackage that. Why? Why does that work? You, you got to do the same thing. So if we use like restaurant operations on a daily basis, you know, when you walk in the, the music level, the decibel level, you know, when you look at a table, is it the same every single time you walk in? Is it an inch to the left? Is the fork crooked? Is the salt and pepper shaker? Right? Let's get consistent daily, daily. Is that dish look different? It's not meant for you to change it. It's meant to look the same every single time. And we go along that way. So, yeah. Um, and plus, I think it's just consistency over time, too. That's Ooh. half the battle. Um, you know, like just showing up over and over. Like, if you show up, you, half of your competition will fall away. If that, you know, over time, I this think true, it's just one of those things. It's crazy. Um, great way to get this thing started. So, take us back to where it makes sense. Where does it take us to the beginning for you in terms of your hospitality career? Ooh. Well, I'm Greek, yeah. if you can tell by the last name. Your last name gave me anxiety, man. I'm not going to lie. I was like, I'm going to screw this one up. <laughs> it sounds better than it looks. No, it's great, brother. It's great. It's I can see why you call it a car or restaurant group now. You know. Well, it's kind of like when so, yes, thank you. There's a method behind our madness. Yeah. But, you know, watching people butcher it from uh, my birth until now. My last name's Cacciatore, man. I get it. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> you know how it goes, brother. You know how it goes. I think I'd be better at more sympathetic. But anyway. Uh, the beginning, the beginning of the hospitality, uh, my parents, uh, I would say my father, uh, had a diner. Uh, I was too young to remember, but with his brothers back in the day in the good old Wilmington, Delaware, 
And as I came into, um, I think I was three years old uh, when he stopped doing that. So I really wasn't, you know, there. Okay. Uh, again, around 14, he reopened another place and it was a pizzeria. However, being Greek, we have a lot of uh, restaurant tours in our uh, field. And I have some family members and ranging from anywhere from sub shops to diners. So I would say that was like my first taste of hospitality and watching owner operated businesses, be it a sub shop or a diner. They were always there. They were always talking to people. It was just, it seemed so much more relationship based than money based or business based. It was like a relationship. Yeah. I I think that would be my earliest memory of where this came from. I I think I disclosed to you that I I started working for Greeks when I was in high school. You did. And I I worked there all throughout, um, basically into my late 20s as I was starting this podcast. So almost 12 years working for Greeks. I love Greek people, man. Listen, you could be be honest. uh, No, I mean, they're tough. Don't get me wrong. They're tough, but they're honest, you know, and and they'll be, if you bust your ass and you work for them and you give them everything that you have and you're loyal, they will have your back. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Am I allowed to ask you a question? Yeah, please. These Greeks. Yeah. Were they first generation restaurateurs or were they second generation? The parents handed it over to them. I want to say they were first generation. Okay. All right. I'll yeah, take that. I think they grew up. I think they're, I want to, I know his mother, Yanni, was his name. Oh, yeah. Uh, he I spelled like him it with already. a G, though. Gianni. Yeah. Uh, his mother uh, was a pastry chef. Okay. Um, and I think that, I don't know. Now that I think about it, I know his dad worked with him. Okay. Might, I don't think it, it wasn't passed down. They went off and they did their own thing. It's not like they took over the family business. Got it. They might be second generation restaurant operators. Okay. The reason I ask, because I find that second generation restaurant tours where their parents just handed it over and the kids took over the business. Most of the time, they're not really in tune and they're just doing it because it's comfortable. Uh, I bring that up because, you know, uh, I didn't come from that. I just started from scratch and kind of went from there. So that's why I bring that up and I ask these questions because I, I, I have so a lot of family arguments. members, but you didn't, you weren't second generation, first generation restaurateur. No. Yeah. Wait, yes, no, I'm first. Ge- yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, we're aligned. Yes, we're good. <laughs> I promise. Yeah. But I mean, what I remember working for Greeks was just the work ethic and exactly what to reinforce what you said is they were always there. And if they weren't there, the business didn't run. And there's a certain level of like the relationship that, uh, you know, the, the, the power of relationships. Yes. Mm-hmm. But is that sustainable? Well, we can get into that, Yeah, you know, you know, because you know, how do you do it with 13 places? Is it, you know, is it cause I'm a people person and I'm at all 13 places right. every day on a daily basis. And I think that's the mindset when it comes to growth. Right. And we look at growth and refinement as complete opposites. Wait, so what is the mindset again? I think I might've missed the actual, uh, you know, mindset. when you speak, uh, we we're just talking about Greeks yeah. and I think I've heard it maybe a thousand times over my career. If I'm not at my restaurant, everything goes down. It's true. Everything burns down. Everything goes to shit. And sometimes, you know, how do you grow? Right. Do you just stay put a, there's a Greek saying, you know, you put glue on your feet when you have your business, you're there all the time, 24 seven nonstop. So I think getting away from that mindset. It's weird. I th- Cause there's like the, you also point out that there's tons of value to that of being there all the time, of right? Course. Because of the relationships, of course. people show their loyalty to you. Right, don't worry about the phone. I'm in restaurants every day. The phones ring. All right. It's cool. part of the, it's That's a the, good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're at a good spot. You know, they're busy. Right. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, there's something to be said about the relationship 
aspect of things, right? Uh, but at the same time, wait, so I kind of lost my train of thought with the phone. I'm not going to lie. Very good. Um, so, yes, you can't underestimate the significance of being there. But at the same time, um, I think you should create a business that you want to be at uh-huh. and choose mm-hmm. to be there because it's what you love to do. But if you can't be there, then you 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 should have the 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 choice to go to a funeral, the choice to go to a wedding, the joy of the course. choice to, to catch a, a football game or a baseball game. Yeah. And I think that's the difference is is not being a slave to it, choosing to be there. Right. What are your thoughts? Once somebody said to me, Yanni, you have a successful restaurant. There are people that would cut off their pinky to be in your shoes. Why are you talking about doing another one or another one or uh, there's a gentleman called Colin Coward that I would listen to sometimes between podcasts and, and I come across Colin Coward and he used, uh, I don't know if you like Tom Brady or not. I'm from New England. Well, no shit. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> the goat. Yeah. Right. And he used an analogy for Tom Brady of how people think or how they're wired. One Super Bowl just isn't enough. I need more. I need more. I need more. And it's not a greed thing. It's a passion thing. And I think in, in our business, uh, can you say creativity has no end? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. That that might be another mantra I like to use because yeah. you know what I mean? There there really is no end. You can just keep going and it's right. not it's not a money play. It's a it's a passion play. It's mm. you know yeah, I would go along those lines. I like that. Awesome. So you had family working in the business. Right. You weren't were you working for aunts, aunts and uncles? Were you doing side work or or was your first exposure to restaurants? All I'm going to say is I was 18 years old here in New Jersey, and yeah. I was getting into a, a lot of trouble, okay. barely made it out of high school. Uh, I did have a report card that I actually have framed that had straight Fs on it in high school. <laughs> so I barely made it out, but I just knew I had a love for it. I'd worked for a steakhouse as a dishwasher, and I'm like, there's no other life for me. I mean, this is just it. This is where it's at. What do you love about it? You know, the people. The people coming in and out. I fell in love with the waitress every night. You know, there were customers. You know, the guys were just coming back. It was like a a, a team, a sport. It was just, uh, it was great. Yeah. Nonstop. So did you, at this point, are you saying, I'm in? Like, this is what I want to do? Yes. And there was a point where I was 18. I looked around, and I have an uncle in Toronto who we would say is a restaurateur, and I drove to him to ask him if I could come up there, live up there, and learn. So that was really my transformation. And what kind of operations was your uncle running? Uh, They were, uh, I wouldn't say um, uh, uh, fine, fine dining, but uh, upscale casual. And then he had a coffee shop. I think him just teaching me how to put systems in place. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the coffee shops had uh, donuts. Okay. So the employees would see him across the street at a busy intersection and everybody starts scrambling. And I would just look around. And, you know, he's like, I don't know, 5'8", mustache, Al Pacino looking. You know, he's got a crazy eye. <laughs> but he's like across the street. Everybody starts scrambling. And I noticed the one thing that they did was they went to the donuts and they just lined them up perfectly. So it looks like a supermarket. Everything's lined up. And just watching these little things, and he'd walk in and, you know, twirl his mustache and just look around and just look do for every, yeah, yeah, do every little detail. And I'm talking about, you know, cobwebs in the ceiling, a little bit of uh, dirt in the grout. And, you know, I those are the systems that I really needed to learn. And then when it came to the books, which is one of the scariest part mm-hmm. for restaurateurs, what goes on behind the scenes? We know operations are physical, but what goes on behind the scenes? That's really where I learned. So how you were 18 when you 
were working at the steak shop. How old were you when you moved to Toronto? Uh, same year. Same year. Same year. Because uh, aside from working at the steak shop and getting into more trouble at the uh, steakhouse. So this with, is the mid to late 90s? Yes. Uh, 94. Yeah. Okay. 94. Okay. Yeah. You, you own your first restaurant by 2002. Uh, yes, I did. I have a, another mantra. You want to hear it? Yes, please. I, got, I, I won't stop. I won't stop, brother. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> Uh, I didn't read this. I just wrote it on a piece of paper, and I said, this is going to be my life. Uh, a restaurant by the age of 30, a million by the age of 40. Nice. <laughs> Excuse me. When I say a million, I mean a million net worth, not a million dollars cash in my right. pocket. And semi-retired by 50. Ooh. That's it. Just those three. What, we were, how many years until 50? Uh, three. Are you, how are you doing? Are you on par? I'm on par nice i did say semi yeah semi i don't want to go sit on a beach and do i want to keep doing this shit for the rest of my life but i want to do it because i love it not because i need to yeah right i love that choice is powerful man uh well congratulations but why is it so important to write things down like to get into the power of that well it's not complicated i made it very simple just three fucking things to do this is the goal i don't care how you do it but you have to do it right whatever it takes do it What's that that crazy like documentary that's out there is like the the secret? I think it's called the secret, and it's this it's this whole yeah. idea of like manifesting destiny. I uh, I don't know if I'm I'm all the way in, uh-huh. but there's I think there is some truth to this idea of um, visioning, having a vision, yep. writing it down, uh-huh. looking at it every day, and there is some truth to like if you if you keep yourself on that center line Mm -hmm. by seeing this stuff oh i like that brother yeah Yeah. it's it's powerful secret Uh, you you probably heard that documentary everyone kind of gives a shit like if you think about it if you manifest it i think it's there's all right i mean i was 20 years old brother (laughs) i was 20 years old i'm like you know what you could write down 18 pages of what you're gonna do how about just do this? I think it just keeps you focused and mm-hmm. you're constantly working towards those goals. And it's, if, you, if you write it down, you're less likely to get distracted because it's not what I wrote down. I like that. And what do we, how do we start this? Per- consistency over time? Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. So well put, brother. there's some power like that. to that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm trying to be better about making my, letting my guests speak. <laughs> I've been getting some criticism online. Um, but anyway, so you're, you're working for your uncle. He teaches you um, systems and he teaches you the books. Mm-hmm. Um, get a little bit more into the systems. You, you, he, he knew, you knew through observing that he communicated standards because if, if they saw him coming, everything got tightened up but how did like how did he put systems were there checklists was like how did the people know where to put everything that's a beautiful question brother there were no there was nothing written down there was nothing he would just say it once and they would do it that constant gentle pressure Mm, i love it and was that out of fear or was that just to please him maybe both is that your standard today or are you taking it beyond that (laughs) I would let somebody else answer that. I would like to say I'm very fair. Okay, and, your brother's, you know, <laughs> I do have the eyebrow raise, yeah. you know, and uh, I can be a little much. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so what about the books? What did he teach you about the book? What were the biggest lessons in those early days? It, it was, it's just such a scary thing. And then when you really like sit down and do it, I think just like anything in Why life, is it scary. 
I think it's scary to a lot of people. Like, what am I doing? How do? How am I doing my sales tax? I got to keep track of my numbers every day. And I know back then, as opposed to now, like everything is on a credit card, really. So you you have QuickBooks. You got a lot of tools that really just help you stay in focus with your profits, your bottom line, your sales, and really, you know, we like to use year over year comparisons. And we like to see if there's growth, if it's stagnant, and just try and see where we're at. So I think that can be intimidating to. Uh, I spoke at a culinary class yeah. of a bunch of that they want to be chefs and they're young kids and we talked. So I was sitting down for half an hour and then half an hour into it, I said, let's everybody get up. Let's let's loosen up a little bit. I said, you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, I, I just want a whole fleet of food trucks. And I'm like, that it? I'm like, easy. Go buy one uh, marketplace, work on it, fix it up, run it for 10 years learn how to do the books, learn how to form an LLC, all the things that go into play that are non-physical restaurant operations and uh, uh, just get it out of the way. Just get the first one out of the way first. And then 10 years later, then get your second. And then we'll go from there. Why 10 years? I like the 10-year rule. Why is that? I don't know. You really like, I know after owning and operating one restaurant for 10 years, because me and my brother did not open up a second restaurant until 11 years later. So it take, I feel like it took 10 years of me working the grind, getting in there, working every day, seven days a week, like we just talked about, you know, Greeks being in the restaurant. Yep. And that's really how we built the first restaurant. And then we went to the second. And I think it's a great, it's a great potion. I think we're going to unpack that oh, yeah? a lot. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. I like spent a lot of time in the first restaurant because I think that's really where we're like galvanized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're working for your uncle. Right. Here's... 1994 1994 brother and um how long were you in toronto uh i actually was there for i'd never planned on leaving so it's a cool city it's a, such a cool city brother yeah i was I, there last year i fell in love with it it's i was like, like spread out too i'm in heaven i mean the women were just unbelievable and I, I is love it, it. Is that like Canada's Florida? Oh, for yeah. this point south? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of French uh, going on in Montreal and uh, the other cities. But Toronto, I felt like, was more Americanized. But it just had a, a little European flair. It was so clean. I just fell in love with it. And that was it. And I never planned on leaving. But, you know, as fate would have it, while I was up there working and learning and doing all that stuff, uh, a year and a half, second year, I came down back home to go hang out and I wound up at a place in Philadelphia that had a Greek night and I met a girl and she turned out to be my future wife. So I left Toronto. I got in the car and I said, uh, I'm going to marry that girl. I went to Toronto, packed my stuff, moved back home. And when did you come back to New Jersey? 97. 97. Yeah. So you had about five years between coming back, meeting your future wife and owning your first restaurant. Five years, yeah, ninety-seven, two thousand, yeah. So when you left, mm-hmm. where were you on your journey of being ready to open a restaurant? So I told my uncle in Toronto, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm heading out. Where are you going? So I'm going back to Jersey. I'm in love. Oh, you're in love, eh? Okay. <laughs> I said, oh, what do you think I should do? What do you think my next step should be? He's like, you know, you should go um, work for these American companies. I don't know how they do it, but really learn like the corporate system mm, and corporate. I'm like, good advice. Well, like McDonald's or whatever. No, he's like, no, it's something like a stupid, like a. I don't know how, you know, he had trouble like uh, yeah. saying the words with a Greek accent, but uh, I knew what he was trying to say. He was, he was going along the lines of like an Olive Garden or a TGI Fridays, like these real American companies and systems. Uh, I actually came back and I wound up going to TGI Fridays. Nice. And I was like, okay. I had worked at so many different places and restaurants. 
that I'm skipping over a lot of that, but Steakhouse, my uncle, and TGI Fridays would be the main ones. The the transformative times. Yes. So how did you transform at TGI Fridays? Well, I got hired as a server, and I served there, and then they asked me to be a bartender, and I said, okay. Then they asked me, are you interested in the kitchen? I said, I am. And then they said, would you like to be a manager? So, you know, bartenders uh, out there all know this. Uh, bartenders make a lot more than the kitchen staff does. Right. When they asked me to be a manager and I heard the salary and I compared it to what the salary is as a bartender or a server, I would say it's about one third, maybe half. And I think this is where a lot of people or maybe a lot of your listeners might understand. Like you're taking a step back right. monetarily. But what are you gaining from it? And whatever your goals are in the future, that's what's going to happen. That's what depends on what mm-hmm. are you writing things. Do you have a vision for yourself? Uh-huh. Do you mm-hmm. and do you want to be an owner? Do you want to be a millionaire? Uh-huh. Do you want to yes. retire by the age of yes. fifty? Then you have to sometimes step back or take uh-huh. a step to the left to get an unlimited ceiling or to, to sacrifice cash flow now for an education. Absolutely. Right. Amen, brother. Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. That's exactly how I, yeah. I, if I could articulate the same way you did, if, I'm going to listen to this and I'm going to write it down exactly how you said it because that's how <laughs> it's that true. Perfect. Though. No, and agreed. when you're young, like you take a job for a quarter difference an hour and that's important to you, mm-hmm. which is so stupid. Right. Yeah. So I took the job as the manager and I took the, the very large pay cut. But, you know, one of the first things was uh, learning how to lead people mm-hmm. and not be a dictator. So, uh, the first thing, the second thing I learned was, you know, they fly you out to Dallas for two weeks. They put you in the TGI Fridays managerial and, you know, as corny as it, as it may sound, it was one of the best experiences of my life because being around so many independent, uh, restaurant operators, the think is totally different. And I think that's what my uncle was trying to say with go to like a corporate place because you're going to see things that you haven't seen before and different kinds of systems right. and different ways of thinking. And uh, I was always grateful for that. But uh, I did uh, I did very well at TGI Fridays. Shout out. What do you mean by well? <laughs> well, meaning that uh, being that young and being a manager, I was surrounded by older managers. And I'll go as far as 30s, 40s, 50s. So you're 20 years old? 21 around that ballpark? Yeah. Yeah. Very young. Yeah. Uh, the manager that asked me, the director of operations... I was actually bartending at another TGI Fridays and he happened to walk in and I'm a guest bartender and I'm on my hands and knees uh, scrubbing out the fridge of the beer cooler cooler, and he just happened to notice that. He didn't say anything. I didn't find out till later on. I said, why me? He's like, well, you're a guest at another restaurant. Instead of standing around doing nothing, you're cleaning their bar. That's that's what it's all about. Right. And I really like that. So back from where your where your your uncle brought you to this idea of understanding the business, understanding the books, understanding standards, but he was still kind of a sounds like in no disrespect to your uncle, a little bit of a dictator. He, there wasn't tools. There wasn't tools or systems or processes or checklists. Right. A standard, an operations manual that he handed his employees. Mm-hmm. He was the manual, and he communicated the standards. I, I have to. I have to interrupt you for a second. I got to give a shout out to my aunt. Okay, his wife, yes. because they are a team. Okay. Okay. So yes, you're right. He is the dictator. She is. Not the dictator. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, I should I should have mentioned that beforehand. You know, I learned from both of them, but he's like the guy. Got it. So, um, what really paint the picture of how you were elevated 
at TGI Friday. You know, like your uncle definitely elevated you, but the, you continued to soar up beyond this with the, the education you got at TGI. Really, what were the biggest pivotal things that you pulled from that experience? Well, you mentioned dictator when it comes to my uncle, right. and I w- never met your uncle. I know. I just <laughs> I, I wanted to be the opposite. I didn't want to. I didn't want to lead like that. Yeah. I wanted to lead sure through. He's fantastic. He's amazing. Amazing. Like I said, the mindset's totally different. You know, you go into corporate America and people are, you know, it's a swinging door. I'm just here for the money. And, you know, how do you lead that type? But it's the 80-20 rule. You know, 20% of the people in that restaurant are there and locked in and really care about the culture. Yes. The culture carriers. And, you know, when they're running that show and the other 80% are just kind of in and out the door, or, you know, I'm just here until I get my real job. I've heard it a billion times over right. my career. Uh, I really enjoyed, you know, I'm going to say role definition and role definition, I think is everything. So when I say role definition, I mean, as a key to success, in other words, um, there's the director of operations, then there's the general manager, then there's the assistant general manager, then there's the kitchen manager, bar manager, server manager, uh, host and busser manager, and then manager in training. I'm like, that's a lot of managers for one place, but the roles are defined just through titles. I've seen this in independent. I'm going to use a, let's use a diner, a Greek diner, for instance. You might have six family members in there. Okay. Is there a, a director of operations? <laughs> I'm smiling because I watched like two episodes or like clips of episodes on your of your podcast, and I know how you feel about diners. So. Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I love them. I do. I, I, I don't know how to tell you. Like, I love them. Yeah. But again, I'm going to go with the the think. The think is totally different. But I have seen uh, a place like that to where there are six owners. Right. And it's a shit show, brother. Right. It's a shit show. I'm in charge. Can you imagine like different people coming through the door and saying, I want that there. And then the next owner comes in and goes, no, I want it there. Yeah. yeah but Jimmy says, I want it over here. So we put it over there. And then they all argue. And then, you know, it's too much. So my editor yeah. also worked for these two Greek guys. No shit. Okay. And this was something that we used to talk about uh-huh. all the time because we worked together. Okay. And when one was there, it was one way. And when the other one was there, it was <laughs> right. a different way. Yes. And you had to think about who was working uh-huh. to like get it done their way so you wouldn't have to hear right. in your ear that you're uh-huh. playing around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So, <laughs> I love it. So um, so you learned the to have roles and that each role has to have a description of what they're responsible for. So there's no question as to who's responsible for what. Is that the takeaway? Correct. And I think uh, when I when we talk about that, I think starting off as a manager in training, then a manager, then me managing the bus or the host, then me managing the servers, then being the manager for the bartenders, then being manager for the kitchen, then becoming general manager. So there's also a path of growth. And it went by pretty quick. And I find that if you're efficient and laser focused and locked in, uh, it just naturally comes. If right. you're just, and I, I feel like I was just naturally being myself. And it just, and at that age, I mean, I'm, I'm still pretty young. I'm the youngest there. Beyond everybody knowing what their job is, why is it so important to have that that those those titles and that path plotted out? What happens when that happens? Uh, roles are clear, yeah. not between only you, but between the people that are working and the staff. You know what I mean? And right. I think that's really important. Right. Like there should be a, a, a final say. You had talked about two owners coming in and saying, you know, two different things. Who, you know, where is the final say? Uh, I know everybody wants to cross the finish line holding hands together, but I like that. So if I'm a kitchen manager, yeah, I am answering to the general manager or the director of operations. And you have to listen because if you listen, you can make other people better. When How long were you with TJ? 
Ooh, one, two. So I was there for two, three, almost three years until uh, an independent restaurant company pulled me aside and said, we'd like you to be the director and general manager for our restaurants. And you came in as the kitchen manager? Was that the title? You were a manager. Where? For TGI. Yeah. Kitchen manager? Yeah, yeah, I left. And when, when you entered at three years, did you were you the kitchen manager the whole time? Or oh, no, you, no. I entered as a server, brother. Oh, you entered as a server? I entered as a server. Okay. I, I mean, thought you said you went Oh, no. Managers. I just blew through the ranks just uh, like that. So when you showed up, did you have an idea of where you could go with that organization? Yes. Why? Because it's clear. Mm. And- you know, we talked about manifesting, writing things down. I'm like, they just made it so clear to where you might be in an independent and you're like, okay, am I ever yeah. going to own this restaurant? No. So you go into a system like that and you just see the path. Right. And you can make a pretty good path for yourself right. there. But people, the people want a path. They want to grow. And if right. they don't feel like they're growing, if they don't know where they uh, can end up, mm-hmm. then they're, you know, giving them a clear path will it's good for their their mental health. It's good for their their. It, their it's needs. everything, brother. That's right. why I think you're going to love our group yeah. and our concept when we get, get into, into that. Oh yeah. yeah, you're going to like it. We're going to unpackage it. So, uh, any other key lessons, takeaways about leadership at TGI? Because I think that was the other thing that you mentioned. You learn about leadership and you learn about organizational structure and like all that stuff. I'm just going to say, like you said, I really enjoyed my time there, and I wasn't ever looking to leave. Like I said, I got approached to be and pulled away. Uh, I, I I'd like to think loyalty is my strength but i've been told it can be my weakness as well most strengths are weaknesses most strengths are weaknesses yeah i mean see yeah yeah i always looked at as a strength he's like uh one of our guys just he's like that's your weakness and i'm like no it's a strength he's like trust me and i've learned a couple lessons by that but yeah i hear you brother yeah um was there a leader there that you gravitated towards yes uh his name was uh david horn his name is david horn uh he was the director of operations Meaning that, you know, uh, polo shirt, suit and tie. So basically he, I believe it's called the United Restaurant Group. They're based out of Virginia. So they owned all the TGI Fridays in Wilmington, Delaware. So he would go around from store to store and meet with the managers. So he was the leader for the managers. And then he was in charge of the real estate dealings and that other stuff. And I was like, that. Okay. And just having conversations with him, I understood why he was in that position. Why? Um, I guess grace, knowledge, intelligence. And, you know, he really bought into the TGI Fridays. Um, what's the word? Mm, like the, just the, the what they were trying to do. He drank the punch. He drank the punch, but he wasn't trying to sell the punch. And that's why I liked him a lot. He wasn't selling anything. He just liked it himself. And I really, I, I really admire example. that. Yeah, very classy, very cool guy. Just so that would be my role model in the TGI Fridays frame. Going from my uncle to corporate, can I say corporate America when I'm talking about right. TGI Fridays? Look, it's I'll, a. I'll be honest. When I when I started this podcast, I was very anti corporation, anti franchise, mm-hmm. anti big business. Um, I've, I still think there could be better balance, and that's part of right. our mission to transform the industry uh-huh. is to to create a path to right. shine a light on how these big operations run so you can mm-hmm. do it on a small scale and you can treat right. a little business like a big business. And you know, yep. and, and I think what will end up happening is we will find a, a middle ground. I, I took it all as education, brother. Right. Like for me, it was all an educational experience because like I said, I'm going to have my own place by 30. 
but there's a lot we can learn from these corporations. Another thing I've seen past guests do, you went in and you worked for a corporation, but if you want to own a restaurant, I've seen people buy into franchises. Uh, yes. Specifically, mm-hmm. if they were successful in other careers, they had money, maybe they're engineers or lawyers right. or whatever. Oh, yeah. And they're like, I want to open a restaurant. They go and they find a successful franchise and they and they steal everything. Everything. <laughs> they, we're, uh, they, we're, we're in that mode right now where they we've been just, approached yeah. to a franchise and I'm like, wow, this is a lot. And like then a lot of these people, if, they're, if their concept isn't directly competitive of you know, they're current. I think the the woman I spoke to, I can't remember her name, but um, she worked for five guys. She started a couple five guys. She has like three or four locations. Uh-huh. And then once she figured that out, she, she started her own Indian food restaurant. Okay. Uh, based out of actually DC, I want to say curry or I can't remember. What it yeah. Was. Anyway. Um, but she learned so much from that. Okay. And it's a crash course in, into how to franchise a bit. Why not go learn from five guys? You know, sure, yeah, sure. So, Before you buy in, though, exactly. Before you buy in, maybe well, a little experience helps. Yeah, if you're Talk an engineer, maybe yeah. Working, I've never worked in a restaurant before, but I'm going to get Engineers a franchise. Engineers do great in this industry because they're all about right? process. Yeah, they're all about. Well, let's say it's out. let's say it's a uh, fast casual or QSR, and you know, let's say it's a it's a fry joint. You know, I, I would like to say not to play it down, but it's a little easier, right? You know what I mean? As opposed to something more um, uh, upscale casual, let's yeah, call it. Yeah, you need a ki- uh, Peter in the kitchen. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, the Pete. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, you, you have your time at TGI. Right. Uh, this this guy headhunts you. Or um, woman? No, I'm going to say that um, it was an independent family of four, a mother, a father, and two brothers in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, shout out Marathon Grill. And uh, I was approached. And... Um, I became a manager for them. They offered me uh, a salary, a general manager position. I could move around to different stores. And I wanted to learn from a non-Greek or non-corporate setting. So I would say I went into this uh, family-built empire, which I believe they had like seven or eight at the time. And they were all Marathon Grills? Marathon Grill. And the other one was Marathon on the Square, which is at Rittenhouse Square. And they, they, yeah. And I went to go learn some more. So this is from the age of 25 to, wait. No, no this is uh, 24. I was there for a year. Not, okay. So 2018 to 2019? Or sorry, 1998 <laughs> to 1999. Is that right? My mind was 99, right? Yeah. 98. I'm going to say 99, 2000. How many more years from when you started working for them until you opened your first place? Uh, summer of 2002. So there was, uh, years. well, they were located in Philadelphia. Okay. Eric, I found a spot in Philly, this little <laughs> tiny pizzeria and had two, two bedroom apartments upstairs. You know, I'm a So manager. there's a story before Georgia's. What's that? George's. Sorry. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So there's a failure. Oh, well, I love failures. I wouldn't say, fa- <laughs> oh, I got some failures for you, brother. This ain't one of them though. Okay. Right. I'm in Philly. I'm a general manager. I'm walking around. I have my little Vespa in the city. I am living with my future wife at the time, and we are getting married. Sounds now. like the life. Yeah. Vespa, oh, yeah. Oh, I still got a Vespa, brother. It. But in the city, there's Girl some. Girl of your dreams? Yeah. Everything's just, like, wow. good to go. And I'm like, all right. So, uh, okay. Riding around, I see this little spot. It says for sale. And I'm like, interesting. So it was $400,000, and it was a little pizzeria on the bottom, but it had two two-bedroom apartments upstairs. And I'm Let's like, you know what? Nice. I got 30 grand saved up. I'm going to make this deal happen. So I talk with the guys. I wanted to buy, I'm sorry, I wanted to buy the property. Yeah. 
So I'd ask my uh, my fiance, my girl, do you mind if I quit my job? We buy this place. We live in one of the apartments. We rent out one of the apartments, and then I open up, you know, a restaurant in this little square. And she said, "Absolutely," and I'm like, "Hell yeah!" But then she said, "So wouldn't it be nice if we moved down to Cape May, New Jersey, and took over my dad's place, which is for sale, George's place?" Okay. And I said, <laughs> "I said, listen, I'll love you for the rest of my life, but there's no way in hell uh, I'm moving down to Cape May and taking over your father's shithole place." <laughs> And no disrespect to the place because he had been there since 1968 up until that time. But there was a for sale sign in the window to buy the business, not the property, to buy the business for $50,000. And the sign had been up for a year. You know, you hear me talking about, I don't know. You this said is the, the pizza place in Philly. No, oh, this, this is, is her dad's okay. place in Cape May, New Jersey. And then there's the pizza place in with the property in Got Philly. It. So I said, I want this place. I want to do my own thing. She said, wouldn't it be nice if we went down there, raised a family, you took over my dad's place? And to me, it just sounded like a nightmare because family, restaurants, and I'm like, I want nothing to do <laughs> with that, like zero whatsoever. So I start working on the place in Philly, negotiating. I'm feeling good about myself. You know, uh, you know, a week goes by after that, and she says, guess what? And I'm like, what? She's like, I'm pregnant. And I said, holy shit, that's fucking fantastic. That's great. You know, so yeah, I got my car and I drove down to Cape May, New Jersey, and I took the for sale sign out of the window and I said, here's the deal. I'll keep the name of your place, George's place, right? I'm going to keep the name of your place, 700 square foot, 10 tables. That's it. I'll keep the name of your place. I'll call you dad and I'll name my second son after you. That's all you're ever going to get from me. Deal or no deal. <laughs> deal. I want you and your fa- everybody out. I'm going to open up my own LLC, and I'm going to own and operate it. Just stay out of my way, please. And that was a deal, brother. Nice. And I would say, because at that age, knowing that I had a child coming, I'm like, do I want to stay in the city and risk it all, or do I want to make this bet? Because our parents were also close by. Her parents were there. So I would say there was fear-induced. But I'm glad I made that deal with her father because it's the best deal that I've ever made in my life. So why is the best deal you've ever made? It's the best deal because it was a it was an open door. You know, sometimes you, you just get a little creek open. And maybe, you know, we're talking about things happening for a reason. Maybe she was pregnant for a reason. It was meant for me to do that. And I'll say it's the best deal in my life because uh, roles were defined from day one. And when I tell you, I'll keep the name of your place, George's place, out of respect. Because when I see a man that has worked, whether it be a diner, whether it be a shithole, whether it be a restaurant that has supported his family and worked his ass off seven days a week, you might hear me poking at that, but I I have the ultimate respect for that. Like, so just because I'm talking shit doesn't mean I don't respect. I respect the man that Mm. provides for his family and does it through there. But you can also differentiate if they're doing what they do because they love it or they're just doing it for the money. And I think that's why I just drawn that line from the get-go in 2002. That's why I say it was the best deal that I ever made. I didn't say, hey, please, can I have this? And then we work together, and then you teach me your systems. I don't want to learn your systems. I know what I'm going to do. And I actually based that restaurant off of a restaurant in Philadelphia called Audrey Claire's. It's a little beautiful corner spot, small place. I always adored it. Not the menu, not anything, just the atmosphere and the feel. Mm. So that's what I started with there. 
So that's how I wound up down here in Cape May, New Jersey. Lots of cool things I want to pull from that. One is just the power of candor and the power of direct communication and just saying, like, I'm in, but these are my terms and doing it respectfully, but Mm -hmm. communicating what you want up front because you don't want to wait until after the deal is signed. Because oh, of course, it's yeah. everything, brother. It's you, everything. You gotta be upfront. You mm-hmm. gotta be clear. You gotta be candid. And it's, candor is hard sometimes because you might have offended him in that moment. What what we did isn't good enough for you. You need to change it all. Uh, no. Well, <laughs> you know, without getting into, I'll, I'll get into it. Okay. He didn't think I was gonna make it. He thought I was a joke. We had something signed. He still gave you the deal, huh? I mean, did you just want to get out of there? Well, he gave me a number for rent. Got it which was, I'm going to say it was $60,000, right? And then I looked at his sales. And this is why, you know, like a, a TGI Fridays or management is so important. The best part is learning how to read a P&L sheet and just really being able to do the numbers in your head. So I said, I'm sorry, did you say the rent is $60,000? He said, yeah. I said, where are your sales? He's like 180. I'm like, that's a 33% of sales. He's like, that's ah, okay. 60 for me, 60 for you and 60 for everything else. And I'm like, that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so as I completely gutted the restaurant and changed the whole menu and he was making fun of me with what is this? Quesadilla? And I'm like, quesadilla. he's like, what are you doing? People are going to laugh at you. They don't want this. Yeah. They want a hamburger. Do you understand they want a hamburger? And I'm like, I could do better than that. And don't forget, we're talking, like I said, 21 years ago. Quesadillas were hot back then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, I would say he looked at me and said, you're not going to make it. It's a joke. Like, I know what I'm doing. Like you said, how dare you change? Right. But I'm like, I mean, they're all in or all out. And uh, I signed a 15-year lease with him, everything on paper. So everything is defined have it on paper done he owned the building so he was my landlord and we went from there and brother i'm going to tell you that i learned real quick that it was very very difficult i think that's a good spot to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to talk about how you executed this over the next 10 years word recently on the show you've been hearing it come up often Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, 
There is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. All right, we're back, and you just left us with a huge cliffhanger. You're about to open or reopen or take over the family business, new family business. That's right. What was it like? You know, everything leading up to that, and I guess any restaurateurs or future restaurateurs out there will understand, you know, it's all a fairy tale until the doors open. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, okay, now it's time. Now the real work starts. And it was uh, it was a lot. You put a lot of pressure on yourself. And I, I don't know how to even put it into words, but I, I can understand why a lot of first time restaurateurs fail or first time anything. You know, I think from the outside looking in, you're like, hey, I can own a restaurant that looks like fun. It's going to be great. Right. And I'm going to be rich and I'm going to have a cool car and everybody's going to know my name and I'm going to be popular. The dream takes over. Yeah. But you actually have to work your fucking yeah. business. You're 25 years old. Yeah. You got a baby on the way. Yeah. Um, you've worked in a handful of restaurants. You've gotten your management experience mm-hmm. for two restaurant groups. Sure. Excuse me. Um, what were the first, like, what were the biggest challenges? Like what, like you, you painted the picture of what you thought it was going to be like, you know, we're going to uh-huh. make it, we're going to be rich. We're going to be famous. Uh-huh. What was the reality? The reality was you're not, <laughs> that's so, it. So what were you're, your, you're going to be in the red brother. Yeah. So what were your biggest challenges? So how long were you in the red? Uh, I would say, and I tell everybody this, you know, if you can make it two years in the red, break even year three, and then wait for year four to see that profit, that's realistic. Right. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind too, when you're raising money, if you do a really accurate pro forma at, like, what do you need to survive for two years without any cash flow, and to get that on added to the, the money you're asking for when you're right. getting those loans. So maybe it's an extra 60,000. Like, can you live with the 30,000 a year just to, in, in 2000 with, a, you know, don't forget, I'm going in with no loans, no investors, no nothing. I didn't take any outside money because like I said, if you're going into a restaurant and let's say you're not buying the property, you're right. leasing it and you take out a loan, let's say you take out that 60 grand that you just talked about, and then you put that money into it, so you're 60 grand down, how much is the rent? Let's call it another 60, so you're down 120, a buck 20. What do restaurateurs make? 10%, 5%. If you're a genius, 25%, you have to be a genius. That means work your store right. every day, seven right. days a week. So how long is it gonna take for you to make that back? Are you gonna make it back? You know, and it's uh, it's a difficult one. So I'm thankful that I did not have to take money. I just put a lot of elbow grease into it. I didn't hire any kitchen staff. I just did it by myself. So it took two years for you to get into the black. Uh, that's with after my first summer at George's place uh, in Cape May. Uh, after the summer, which is the busy time, I noticed right around this time. September. I'm like, uh, I don't have any money. <laughs> So what do you do if you own a restaurant and you're going into the slow season and you're in the red and the you have uh, kids yeah. you or you months. have a kid and you have a family and you need to produce? What do you do? Guess you get a job. job. Yeah. You goddamn right. I got a job, brother. <laughs> right away. I got a job bartending. I bartended during the winter, kept the restaurant open during the winter. And that's it. Because in business, you cannot hide. Mm. You are exposed. And I was not going to go ask people for money or do whatever because that's I'm not used to it and right. I don't like it. I'm like, you know what? I, I'm going to do it. So I did the bartending thing and going into year two, it was a breakfast lunch place, Eric, for from 1968 till 2002. One of the things, another mantra is P 
pivot, pivot, pivot constantly. If it's not pivot, that's when I introduced dinners at George's place. You know. So yeah, let's paint the picture of what George's was before. Uh, yes. Uh, just to be clear, yes, it was a breakfast and lunch place from 1968 until 2002. Burgers. So, they want burgers. Yeah, there was like eight lunch items, and it was, uh, you know, a uh, hamburger, and then it was a cheeseburger, and then it was a cheeseburger with mushrooms, and then it was a cheeseburger with mushrooms and bacon, and you had 18 fucking burgers <laughs> under burger. Uh, just make two specialty burgers, you know what I mean? So it, that's what they want. That's what these people want. They want burgers. They want... Do they have a decent, um, like, foundation core customers? Yes. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, there was definitely the summer crowd that came in there and that liked their style. But the one thing that I noticed was that they were all older. Yeah. And I, out there. I feel like you're leaning towards the No, no, all good. Thank you, brother. <laughs> no problem. And, uh, you know, is it a risk to change everything around? Yes. But I felt like if I kept it the same, that's what it was before. And a lot of the first customers that walked in said, what the fuck happened here? Well, that's what I was curious about. Yeah. So you take over and you say, no, we're going to do it different. You have all these loyal customers or likely, you know, the 80% of revenue that's keeping this place open. Right. right. Um, or 60 is closer to 60. I've recently discovered. Uh, so you, what happened initially in the first like couple months? Did you lose a bunch of people? Did you I, get new yes. people? Uh, in comparison to his sales from the year before, I was down. Was he kind of like, I told <laughs> <you to. laughs> Well, that $60,000 rent before I yeah. signed, I made him an offer to where, how about instead of the 60000 I give you 10% of sales. Mm. And, you know, he, he laughed. He's like, well, 10%, that's like 18000 I'm like, well, it's... 10% of profit? 10% of sales. Okay. All sales. 10% of sales. So if you're doing two hundred grand a year, you get twenty grand. He's like, why the hell would I do that? I'm getting sixty from you now. I'm like, I'm just offering. You didn't have to laugh. Yeah, but what after? What, what about five years from now? Well, that was the big mistake, and that's when you know if you try and redo the deal, there's no redoing of the deal. But if you believe in yourself and you go through the grind, just because things aren't going your way, that's why I say pivot, make it happen. Don't sign a one year lease. Sign a fifteen year lease. Mm-hmm. Get married. Don't get engaged. You're married to it because I see a lot of people asking for one-year leases. Why are you asking for one-year lease in case it doesn't work out? You're That's not unstoppable, brother. Yeah. No, you need to just go. Well, just in case. Yeah, No, this is not a just-in-case there scenario. No, uh, no. Other, yeah, there, no. There's only one option. Make That's it, it. Yes. So How? Ask how. How? Uh, so you were constantly pivoting. Um, so the first pivot was pivoting away from what your uh, father-in-law was doing. Correct. Um, how far did he pivot? What did the menu look like after he left? Um, you know, uh, different. I did keep some staples, and there, there's an item called uh, chip to beef, which is uh, there's a signature. It's called SOS, shit on a shingle. And it's like a, a thinly sliced beef, but it's in a cream sauce, and it goes on toast. And I was just making it. He's like, it's not right. And I'm like, you know, it's not right. Do it this way. You can't take the chip beef off. You're going to go out of business. And I'm like, I put the new menu up. Chip beef was still on the menu, but I saw the sales just, you know, more people trying some different stuff. Again, this was 21 years ago. So when I say, you know, I'm introducing uh, Nutella into a town that doesn't have Nutella, which is Cape May, New Jersey. And nobody on their menu had, I don't know, Nutella. I know it sounds stupid today, but I was looking to do like different things. So let's say my father-in-law had a waffle with powdered sugar. I introduced uh, a waffle with Nutella and some walnuts 
you know, just some new right. ingredients, just to modernize it a little yeah. bit, and you know, uh, updating the plateware, updating the whole place. So, did I a complete changeover atmosphere? Yes, a complete changeover the menu. I'm going to say I kept 25 percent of it. Got it. Yeah. So that was the first pivot. Um, what were the set, the what were the uh, you know the additional pivots? The thereafter? biggest pivot was uh, opening for dinner. So with ten tables in a restaurant. Um, and the kitchen and storage being even, I mean, tiny. So when you get a small restaurant like that, you have to order daily as opposed to having a bigger restaurant with a shitload of storage. You can, you can order once or twice a week, not your produce, but like a lot of dry goods. So I found that I was ordering a lot. So I was trying to compact a breakfast lunch service. I would close from two to five or three to five just to reset the whole dining room and make it more of a dinner atmosphere. And I opened for dinner and nobody came in. And then one person came in and then we talked and then a week, you know, two people came in and there was a time a year later, year and a half, a table walked in and they said table for two. And I looked around and I said, um, I don't have any tables for you. It's going to be a five minute wait. And I looked at my brother and I was like, holy shit, we're on a wait for dinner. So when I talk about pivoting, it's just, you know, the rent stays the same. You have your uncontrollable costs and your controllables. Everybody always says control your controllables. Fix items don't so if you're rent 60 grand and you're doing 200,000 in sales that's 33%. But if you're doing a million in sales and you rent 60 grand it's 6%. Yeah. So what we did was we just really raised the sales through dinner service and really started profiting. And I said okay, here we go. Got it. Yeah. Um any other additional pivots thereafter? Um I think it was just the uh, the pivot of life, you know, my son being born, uh we bought our first house you know, you're in business and I'm at, you know, 26 years old and I'm like, uh, like you're a little young and I'm like, well, you know, you got to take an opportunity when it comes. Yeah. And whether it was in Philadelphia at that place or whether it was in Cape May, New Jersey, I said, I'm just going to take advantage of this opportunity right. because uh, we're going to go. So from when you started doing dinner to when you had a wait list a year went? Yes. So I guess how do we get into that mindset of just kind of wrapping your mind around the fact that our efforts aren't going to be, they're going to bear fruit. In the first year, you got to plant the seed and then you got to give time for that thing to grow. Very important, brother. Yeah. Very important. And there was a lot of uh, nights and days that I would just be in there by myself and just wait for a customer to come in. You know, the wife's at home, we got a newborn, and I'm like, I'm doing this for a reason. And I'm not, not going to be here and just play it by chance. I'm going to be in control of what happens. And it wasn't for anybody. You know, I wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody. I just wanted to do it because it's the life that I wanted. Did it take a year for you to open for dinner? Was it the first year you were breakfast? Yeah, after the first year, and I told you I started bartending. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do the same thing again because you can only do so much in sales in the summertime. Right. Right. But this place was open year round. Can you really capitalize on the year round? Yeah, you can or you can't, but you just have to build sales because the way I looked at it was I have another eight hours of service. Why aren't we using it? Oh, you're going to waste your time. Nobody's going to come in for dinner. I'm like, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. And yeah, one at a time. And it took a year of, of showing up for dinner to build that, that foundation, that, that loyal customer. Yes. And I'm going to point out also that that first year, again, I know I said it was 21 years ago, but I put all dinners at 995. Wow. And I'm not talking about bullshit dinners. I'm talking about, you know, uh, salmon. I'm talking about so this proteins. Pre menu engineering skills. I just wanted to get people in the door. And I noticed people would stop, look at the menu. It didn't have a reputation for dinner. 
and they would say nine ninety five. That's and they would just look at each other because I'd watch them out the window, just talk to each so other. So was it intentional? Just to bring- I did it intentional, yeah, okay. because what I believe in sales. I believe another mantra: sales make everything disappear, brother. And I just need to get some sales in there, and I just need to get some people and connect and see. So the the price dinner nine ninety nine, and you had a menu. Everything on it was nine ninety nine. Everything on it, yeah. Now, did you do enough? Like, was it just a guess? Or were you like, okay, on average, if we get an even split, like this is like the medium, like uh, I'm going to say I made 10 cents on every dinner entree, but I was getting people in the door. And as it got busier, I hired an employee and then the servers were making more money. And I'm like, okay, this is what growth is slow, low and make it work. And then it's going to work. Don't do it just for the money. Do it for growth and got make it. something you know, you can always measure profitability. Growth? If, if money isn't growth, what is growth? Well, growth is how do you measure, you know, a restaurateur? How do you measure a business? You can always measure their profitability on a piece of paper, but how do you measure their durability? You know, how do you break? And I always look at, you know, our group and I'm like, how do you break us? Very durable. So how do you really measure that with somebody or with a business? So when I talk about growth, how do you grow without, you know, taking out a shitload of money and borrowing this. And then, you know, are you digging a bigger hole? You know, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Uh, our way of doing it is how do we become unbendable? How do you become an octopus and take one of the legs right. off and you still have seven more? It's interesting. Simon Sinek is talking a lot about this lately. I think he, he on his, his, I don't know if it was for his book, The Infinity Game, or this idea of like, you don't play a, it's not about the numbers and it's not about winning the game. It's, it's it's like this infinity game, this idea that like the game's never over, right? Never. And mm-hmm. I think it was in reference to that book. He was talking about uh, these organizations that when they're hiring, they look for a certain type of person. It's like uh, X Y axis, and you have on one axis it's um, skill, like technical uh-huh. skill. On the uh-huh. other axis, it's loyalty. Mm. And that they almost always sacrifice skill for loyalty because of that. Sacrifice skill for loyalty. Wow. Because of that variable of like, how do you measure? What was the term you used? For durability. The, durability. And I yeah. think durability is yeah. very synonymous with loyalty, right? Like they're going to stick with you. The culture mm-hmm. strong. That's what are right. your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll go along with that. And how do you? How do you measure that? How do you measure it? How do you feel like? Uh, I would call it, I don't want to say a safety blanket. I just, I don't know. You just feel stronger inside and the people around you feel stronger inside and that you can't stop that. So, you know, unstoppable, unstoppable, big daddy. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, two years to get into the black. Um, how did things start to change once you were were in the black? Did you start looking at every menu item and really thinking about built baking? Like what what did that look like? I don't want to lead you. Um, I'm going to say that fulfillment, and saying, okay, all right. Uh, I remember one of my friends used to say, he used to introduce me as, uh, hey, this is Yanni. He owns George's place. <laughs> and they'd be like, yeah, but he's Yanni. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the smartest things I did was keep the name. There was a reason I kept the name because I could use the n- since 1968. He's like, why don't you change it to your name? I'm like, that's ego. That's right. not smart. That's right. not a smart move. So I wanted to keep that since 1968 consistency, yeah. builds credibility. So I thought that that would help. And I thought that was, I thought that was a smart business move at 26. Was it the safe play? No, but I I had a vision and I just wanted it to work and we're still here, right? I think we're still here. Yeah. So 10 years. I love Uh, that. 10 years. You're at 13 going on 14 locations right now. The year is 2022. So you 
you have 13 X your growth in the past 10, 12 years versus, well, you've 13 X your growth in the past 20 years, but it happened in the last 10 years. Uh, it really happened in the past four years, four five years. years. Wow, yeah. That's, that's where it's all exponential brother. Yeah. You know, when you talk about, you know, owning a bunch of stuff, you know, you start off with one, 10 years later, you open the second. And I would say in the last, uh, four years we've opened, uh, seven, eight, eight right. of those 14. So what I'm curious about is what was that evolution of that first restaurant? Where, like, where were you after 10 years? After 10 years, uh, my brother, the Pete, yes. uh, was working in Philly for some great chefs like, uh, George Perrier. Uh, he was working with under, um, uh, Scott, uh, the chef at Budokan, and he was learning some stuff. So he had called me up and said, uh, Hey, listen, I'm going to open up a restaurant in Philly. And I was like, good for you. He's I don't like, talk to a lot of chefs. I talk to their business partners. Oh yeah. You don't <laughs> talk to a lot of chefs. Yeah. No, you talk to a couple. Uh, the, the, nothing. No, like bash. Look, like chef owners. But for the most part, I, I like to talk to their business partners. Did you just say chef owner? Chef owner. Uh, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to get me going, man. Um, oh, I, I, I don't want to say anything bad. Yeah. I, I just, from Boston. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say you can't be a chef owner you cannot it does not exist there's no such thing as a chef owner <laughs> pick one okay don't be bisexual pick one are you a chef or are you an owner well i'm the chef and i own the place well those are two different things a restaurant owner and a chef are two different jobs right you can two, own you can have equity in the business as the chef no that's the ego you just want to say you're the owner pick oh. one are you a chef or are you an owner well i'm both no you're not pick one what do you want to be when you grow up a chef or an owner i did not want to be a chef i wanted to learn and I could still chef my ass off. Yeah. But I'm a restaurant owner. Right. Right. And at the end of the day, like I said, I'm sorry. You touched a nerve with that. Cause no, you, you know, I'm here to listen. Man. <laughs> I'm here to get your perspective. Uh, and I appreciate your perspective. So, um, 10 years in, right. Uh, like paint the picture of what George's was after 10 years. Right. So after 10 years, uh, we got a really, really, really big boost. Uh, we got a call from the food network Ooh. and diners, drive-ins and dives at that time was like a really big deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was 2010. Yeah. 2009. So guy shows up at your place. It's a game changer. Uh, and like Even I said to this day, but then 13 years ago, the doors off. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. So we got the call and I'm like, uh, and they said it's between us and a, a legendary place in Atlantic city that I used to go to as a kid. Um, it's slipping my mind right now, but anyway, they said it's between the two of you. I looked at my brother, the Pete, and I said, uh, they're not going to pick us. I mean, they're going to go with – I mean, it's it's legendary. Next thing you know, they're like, uh, we're coming. They send the producers down. They send the crew down. Word gets around town, and all of a sudden, kaboom. So what what happened? Where were where, where was like paint the picture of what your business was? How many times? How many more times did you pivot thereafter and paint the picture of what George's was? Like, were you were you profitable? Were you in the black every yes? Like, yes. Do you mind getting into numbers? Um, yes and no. But at the same time, uh, I wasn't really good with the numbers. Uh, I'll tell you, here's the problem. Uh, or actually it was probably one of the best experiences of my life was getting, uh, audited for the first time. And it really taught me how to, you know, keep my books together. You know, the problem was I was just throwing receipts here, throwing receipts there, throwing them in a box. And I think going through a couple of years, any of you guys out there that have gone through this, uh, I'm somebody that did not keep good records, right. but going through everything, every single thing Ugh. and presenting it and proving it by the end, I was good. I was yeah. fine. So it was actually an educational experience, but I learned a lot from that. 
biggest lessons. Yeah. So when it comes to the numbers, you know, when you start doing, you know, uh, 300,000, then 400,000, then you hit the $500,000 mark, you're like, all right. Okay. There's plenty of money. Okay. And don't forget, I'm working it. Yeah. My brother is there working with me. He's going between Philly, driving back and forth, down to me, back to Philly being a chef, back down. And he was in high school when I opened in 2002. But from high school as a senior, he would drive down and help. And he'd do a little in the front, he'd do a your, little in the back. Your father in law could have been making 50000 a year, year over year. Well, that's the beauty of it. And <laughs> as the numbers go up, you know, he's like, oh, maybe there's something is it, to is this. Is it too late to take that deal? <laughs> you know, it, look, he's not the type of father-in-law to say, hey, I'm really proud of you. You're doing a great job. He's like, I, uh, yeah. and I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> come on. You, you know, because I'm still, look, I, he looked at me like I'm a kid, which I was. You know, yeah. I'm still 28, 29. I'm still under 30 years yeah. old. I got my second son on the way. So Michael, my first son, was born. He's three. Then my youngest son was born, Georgie. And like I said, I kept my end of the deal. Yeah. I named my second son after him. I said, I told you, huh? a deal's a deal. I'll name my second son after you. So uh, it was just a good vibe. And between my brother and another gentleman, hopefully that you'll meet, uh, Nikos, was there as well. And we just had it. We just had it. And I'm actually writing a book now, and I'm, I'm writing about what we're talking about right now. I don't know how you explain, like, once you get to the magic point and you're like, oh, my God, this is the perfect ballet. Mm this flow oh yeah and that's what i look for today every single day all these years later i go into every restaurant i look for the ballet that perfect dance between the front of the house and the back of the house to where the kitchen has a couple tickets and the front of the house is moving and everybody's just moving in perfect unison because when you walk into your restaurant and your front of the house staff is just shitting around sorry sitting around (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then you look in the kitchen, they've got 18 tickets and they're moving around. The flow is off. Right. If you walk in the front of the house and you see everybody running around like a madman, you go in the kitchen, they got one ticket up there, it's off. So that's what I look for every day when I go into all the different restaurants. I think that's my job. Yeah. That's what I do today. I look for the ballet and how to restore balance. So in terms of um, you, 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 went, you did the audit, it forced you to kind of go through every receipt and what did mm-hmm. you start doing thereafter? I just start keeping records okay. and just being more, um, uh, you know, start using my credit card, right? Like to make purchases. And that way it's there and that way I always have it. So I can look at so my credit cards. you're segregating your cash, your Yeah, just, expenses. you know, it, that's really what got, you know, a business owner. That's why I said, you know, chef, owner, you know, all these things, uh, organization with the books, not my not yeah, my I'm best. I'm right there with you. All right. You know what I'm saying? I've been then. in trouble with the IRS. I won't lie. When you first started yeah, the business, uh-huh. every dollar you make is absolutely going into your belly and into uh-huh. your rent. And I think uh, I, I wish that everybody would get an audit in the restaurant business because you're going to learn something. And you know what? You ain't going to do it again. And it's going to change your complete right. mindset. The problem is the restaurant tours that totally focus on that and forget to be in their restaurant and talk to people and touch tables and be present. Either you do that and you're an accountant or a bookkeeper because what they do is, you know, I think it's amazing. I, like to them, it right. just comes like this. To me, it's like, I, I don't understand it. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the bigger lessons too is as soon as, if you're not a numbers person, as soon as right. you can outsource the numbers, uh-huh. do it. Mm-hmm. Get it off your plate if that's not you because that will bury you. Absolutely. So that was a huge lesson for you, this idea of just getting your cash under control. Um, what was the next evolution for you? This is, this is how long was this in? The next evolution, even during the uh, what we were talking about before with the uh, the IRS stuff, um, we had opened our second restaurant, which was down the street from George's place, a couple doors down, 
And we had seen four or five restaurants go in and out of there over the past 10 years, right? So it's 2002, I'll say nine years. So uh, my brother came from Philadelphia and I said, you want to do this? He's like, yeah. So I'm just going to throw a little role definition in there just so we're on the same page. Uh, I don't know how it's going to sound to everybody or to you. Uh, My brother came down. I said, listen, very carefully before you come down, I just want to let you know we will open a restaurant and we will open more. But you have to understand that for the rest of your life, you'll be Robin. You'll never be Batman. If you can live that life, we're going to have a good life. I promise you. And to this day, that's how it works. Yeah. And it works. Why is that important? Uh, Like I said, the role definitions, like who... Who am I talking to? Who's the guy? And that's even just having one restaurant moving on to two, not five, not 10, not 12. And that's how we create the chain. And just to let everybody know that this is the clear path. Because when you take that kind of responsibility, if things work, yeah, you can take credit. But I can't take credit without him. But if things don't work, I like to look in the mirror and say, that's my fault. Yeah. 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 Also, I think at at the end of the day, somebody needs to make a decision. Right. I think by having that majority person. Uh Hey, like you're you're pulling in from everybody's perspective, and you're right. hearing everyone's weigh in. But uh-huh. at the end of the day, you're using all that to make a decision. Definitely, and somebody, one person has to make the decision. Not necessarily has to, but I agree with you that that is a way. Uh, like listen, a I, I got nine years on them too. If that yeah. helps, you know what I mean. So uh, you know, bro. so we opened the YB, which yeah. stands for the younger brother, yeah. in 2011. Yeah. Another BYOB. Yeah. So was that the second location? That was the second location. 2011. Right. But anything in terms of how you scaled, the things that you were doing differently after 10 years with George's, like where was the peak of that evolution before? Like, What made you think we're ready for number two? Uh, I would say the diners, drive-ins, and dives Okay, back at that time. And actually, my brother was That's on the was uh, episode uh, Chopped. So both shows were hugely popular back then. Yeah. And uh, we were starting to get a little bit of a reputation. Got it. And- all I'm going to say is that it was a 10-table restaurant, and many times, so we didn't take reservations for dinner. All I'm going to tell you is there would be 100 people outside all the way down the block, Wow! and I'd walk outside, and the first uh, 20 tables we would take. Everybody else, sorry. Yeah. This is where it hit me. I'm like, you know what? Even if we left quality alone and we just didn't focus on quality, we're still going to be busy here for the next five years. I didn't say we we're going to do that. But what happens when you have two children instead of one child? One child gets 100% attention, two children 50-50. This is where I would say a lot of maybe your listeners who are restaurateurs own one restaurant, the fear of opening the second. But I think having my brother and Nikos, I said, you know what? We can do it. Quality will not go down. And that was a big uh, what we call, aha moment for me. I'm like, okay, we can do this. I don't. So did you stick by um, the first location? And I'm, I'm assuming YB, younger brother, that was his baby. So I thought it was genius of me. Maybe not so much, but we could argue this. So on the Diners, Drivers, and Dives episode, I did not go on. My brother went on. Yep. So he did some of his dishes. And here's what I did. We opened the second restaurant down the street and took one of those dishes and moved it down the street to the YB. George's place was so busy that I was like, well, listen, if because they would come in and say, oh, we'd like to try the uh, the turkey dish. And I said, I'm sorry. Actually, we're serving that over at the younger brother just to get the place a little a little bit going. But I did something there that we've never done again to this day. I bought a business. We bought that business. 
the business. The business. So when so, you buy the business, right? You buy a business. You're not buying the real estate. You're just buying the name, the equipment, brand. tables, and yeah. chairs. And we weren't even going to use the brand, so we got it from 125,000 to 92,000. We asked them if they'd split that 92,000 into five years. They said no. Four years, no. Three years, no. Two years, yeah, we'll do two years. So the rent's 40 grand. Then we got to give these guys 40 grand. So we're in the whole 80 grand. We made it by the skin of our teeth, but I've never done that again. My brother's never done that again. We've never bought a business from that day forth. What was the reason why you thought that was the way to go? And why is it, is, why is it not the way for you to go going forward? Um, I think if you are a restaurateur and you are respected, all of our deals that have come to us, we get maybe 20 offers a year. We might take one or two of them. Why? Because the deal makes sense. Uh. The deal makes sense. They're not on the market. Like I find, I find that if you see a restaurant for sale, that's on the market, you want to get in before. So we get these phone calls and we get, we get really good deals. And if the deal makes sense, some people are greedy, some people aren't. But yeah, I'm sorry if I got off topic there. But going into the second restaurant, paying for the business was, was huge. I am curious about like what, it, for you, what is the honeymoon deal? What is like the, 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 oh, that's a yes, hands down. What are you looking for? What makes you salivate? Uh, I, I, we've got a couple arguments on this, but uh, percentage of sales. That's, uh, that's our favorite deals. My, I told you about it from George's place from 21 right. years ago. You're guaranteed something, correct? So I think when uh, a lot of landlords, let's say they're non-restaurant tours and they have a restaurant that they want to rent out and they say, I want this number because you know the numbers have to work out. Uh, not my favorite deal unless it's a home run. Like You have to look at a property or a business and if they want $100,000 in rent, the quick math that I do is, is this a million dollar store? Is this a 10% store that should be the number how do you know if it's a million dollar store or not experience experience years yeah you can do some quick math yeah you know yeah so those are my favorite deals um unfortunately i don't know if this is going to vibe with everybody too but a lot of restaurants go out of business uh we have a deal to where a gentleman put a lot of money into a place and less than three years later i got a phone call and we you want our place. I'm like, how much do you want? Nothing. Just want to get out of this lease. That means somebody's drowning, brother. That's pain. That's real pain. And I know what it feels like. So, you know, we don't want to take advantage. So we make deals that are good, comparable. So yeah, that would be my favorite deal. Well, I mean, I just came from talking to Sean Finter. Um, okay. He, I don't know if you heard of bar metrics. Uh, he's, he's a founder of bar metrics okay. and now he does consulting. He owned seven restaurants at one point or six restaurants and, and bar restaurants in Australia. Um, and he was talking about when he was starting his business, I think he did only percentage. He did 50, 50 sales. That's, and he would take over, he'd go in. He's like, I'm going to take over kind of like what you did with your, your, um, your, uh, father-in-law. Uh-huh. I, I'm going to run everything. I'm, I'm steering the ship. Okay. I'm going to get 50% of sales. You're going to get 50% of sales. But that person owns the restaurant. And he, well, he was this was his consulting. Okay. So he started doing with consulting, and that's kind of how he made the money. And then from there, I think he would eventually go take over, but a similar profit-sharing okay. model. To Interesting. Like I, I, see, I, I'd have to listen to it again. It was recent. but uh, All right. I might have an argument with him. 
Well, maybe I'm not really delivering it well. Well, so. uh, you said uh, 50-50. And whenever I hear 50-50 in anything, I say no. So that's why I'll be curious to tell you about how well, we operate. Well, he didn't operate. own 50% of the operation. It was just 50% of the cash flow. The sales, the flow. Yeah. Split and he was flow. getting 100% of decision-making. He was going to basically... Okay. So basically, he would find people who were, had a good location, good... Oper- they had potential, right? The, the, the food, but but they just didn't know how to run the restaurant. He would come in. He was working for the Hard Rock. And okay, he got kind of like where you went to TGI. He went to the Hard Rock mm-hmm. and learned everything. And he would go in and basically flip these places and be like, "There's uh, money beautiful. being uh-huh. like, like, he, like this place should make money. I know how to make it make money." Right. And he would say, "Let's let me take over. We'll split the the in the I guess the profit." Okay, you know, and then. He would go on. I don't know exactly how he did it, um, but it's the first time I've really okay. kind of heard of like this idea of like splitting the revenue. I'm gonna check that out. All right, I'm uh, curious okay. now. So, um, what about operations? Did you evolve as an like your operations? Did you get better? Because you're talking to yourself about okay, like if we're not here, then this place doesn't run, and it really kind of hinged on you and your brother, right? Now right. you're at today, ten years later, you're at. 13 locations, five concepts, 13 locations. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you had to change the way you do things to operate at that scale? Absolutely. Of course, brother. Like what? Well, you, uh, it took us what? 10 years to open a second restaurant. Then it took us uh, another couple years to open the third. And I would say the majority of them we opened in the past four to five years, exponential growth. Uh, What happened was we had grown to four restaurants and it was just my brother and I in business. Do me a favor before Shoot. you get into it. Yeah. Um, so the first restaurant, George's. Second uh-huh. restaurant, uh, YB. Bro- YB. Um, what were the, and without getting into any detail, just the names of the restaurants thereafter. Year after, like, so how many years after Younger Brother? Uh, so what was, so Younger Brother was 2012, 10 years after. 2014 was 2011 what? YB, I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, 2014 was Shimon. 2013, no. 13. Right, right, right. Thirteen. So, Shimon. Okay. And then two thousand seventeen, George's Place Courthouse. Okay. That was seventeen? Two thousand seventeen. So we still got uh a handful of restaurants. So you guys really did blow up over the past couple of years. Yeah. Huh? What was yeah. Are you drawing a blank? Oh, you want me to keep yeah, going? Yeah, keep going. <laughs> uh, 2018, we'll say this building we bought, so we'll say Petunia. Okay. And let's do 2019. So, one, two. No, no. Uh, yeah, that was because um, uh, COVID came, yeah. right? And then we did Vintage 2020, George's Place uh, Commons 2020. Commons, 21. No, three-year deal. We're going into 24. We opened two in 2020, right? No. So we have Commons, Vintage, uh, Petunia, George's Court, uh, Shimon. Am I saying that right? Shimon. Shimon. Yep. Uh, YB and George's Place, OG. All right. Uh, what are we missing? George's Place, Wildwood Crest. George's Place, Wildwood Crest. Uh-huh. 2020. Yeah. Sorry. So 2020, COVID, Vintage, and George's Place, Wildwood Crest. Beautiful. Okay, so you, yeah, so you basically you're at one location for the first ten years, two locations at twelve. <laughs> you can see the trend. Another one a year after, another one in 2017, and it looks like after 17, you guys just kind of blew up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what what were the major differences that happened from going from one to two? 
was it just dividing and conquering at that point? Uh, between my brother and I, yes. Where was the culture that of George's your first location? Like how many? Like was there ten gonna, there? Well, ten tables. Let's just say there were uh, always two servers in the front of the house with one or two bussers, and there would be one, two, three on the line, one prep, and one dishwasher. Okay. So we're talking five, six, seven, eight. We're talking about ten people and seven hundred square feet. What happened if you both got sick? Before opening Younger Brother. No problem. No problem. No problem at all. And that's, this is where people come into play. And if they're just doing it for the money, that's one thing. But that culture that we talk about, it was there. And I'm going to, I'm going to use the the name Nikos again. You know, he really allowed my brother and I to start spreading our wings because he really took the store, closed his eyes and said, you know what? This is my store. And he really did. Mm-hmm. And when you can find something like that or somebody cares about you that much and they allow you to go, because a lot of you know people say, don't worry, I got this under control, but they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Right. He really, you know, people come into George's play and say, uh, is the owner Nico here? And I'm like, I didn't say, no, no, no I'm the owner. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I really do. Um, so one of the things I did want to discuss um, and like looking at your, your website, if I look at the website, if I go to the homepage, um, you get the, a list of all the people you're at the top. Um, and then you and your brother are at the top. Am I still at the top? Yeah. I told them to put us on the bottom. Oh, well, someone's in trouble. Oh um, boy. But underneath that you have uh, Nikos, Nikos, right? And then who is now? Jo- the, yep. George Brandon or uh-huh. Brandon, 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 Georgia jazz hands, Georgia jazz. Oh, he's doing the jazz. Hands yeah. yeah, yeah. Too. Uh, Matt Smith. Yes. Uh, you got Jenny. Uh, I'm not going to say these last names. So I don't want to screw anybody. Uh-huh. Uh, Jenny, Heather, no- uh, Noel, Liz, Nick, um, managing partner, managing partner, managing partner, senior managing partner. Uh, and then you have some principals and vice presidents. Um, so like, what do these words mean to you? Absolutely nothing, brother. Okay. They're just titles. All right. So managing partner. A managing partner is somebody that's in a group. Let's say you're in a real estate holding company and you have five people. Or maybe that's going too far. But a managing partner is the face of the group. And everybody else in the background is like an investor, a silent partner. So in the corporately structured world, this is how it's presented. So I think to present to the world that we are together, you know, everybody that you just read owns an LLC and owns one or two of the businesses. So this is where the structure comes in. So there's the original LLC, your LLC. Right. And then all the people that are are titled partner here have their own separate LLC. Correct. And you're doing your LLC is doing business with their LLC. Nobody, I mean nobody in the group is on an LLC with somebody else. So in other words, uh, we talked about Nikos. Yeah. Uh, Nikos is the president of Cara Restaurant Group, but Nikos currently owns and operates business owner of vintage BYOB in Cape May. That's his restaurant. So when, so vintage on the timeline came after younger brother, it was the, no, it was Shimon. Where, where right. was vintage? It was 2020. Vintage was 2020. Uh-huh. Okay. So is this something that you started doing more recently? Like what, like younger brother, that was your restaurant, right? You owned. Uh, no, that there. would be the Pete's restaurant. Okay. So the Pete opened up an LLC. So I had an LLC for a limited liability corporation, which you should have for your restaurant. I had one for George's place on the beachfront. Then my brother came and opened his own LLC for his restaurant. Okay. And then we opened a third, uh, which was Shimon 
BYOB. Was that just you and your brother as far as? That was just me and my brother. And I believe I put that one under my name. So you have two business owners now. It's just me and my brother. Nikos is at George's place. And, you know, maybe 30 or 40 staff between the places. Okay. So we were, we were starting to cook brother a little bit. Was there any intentionality? What was the strategy? Why did you do it this way? So, you know, the third restaurant we opened, Shimon, I just looked at my brother. We had such a beautiful deal. I said, why don't we do something like stupid, like crazy? And we came, we usually sit down and, you know, shoot ideas past each other. We have 40 seats. How about we just do a seating at seven o'clock for 40 people? We'll do a 15 course sit down dinner, right? Just little bites, uh, no menu, seven o'clock, sit down, shut the fuck up. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. It was like 30 bucks. Just to play off of like, um, you know how you, we've had these dinners before where it's a, you know, it's a seven course dinner and it's $450 per person. I'm like, let's just do whatever we want. Let's have fun with it. It's, yeah. Again, it's not about the money. It's about the creativity. So um, the evolution and kind of going on to that. And then we get a call from CNBC to fly out to Hollywood and shoot something with Joe Bastianich for a restaurant startup. And he basically called me and my brother an idiot. It's never going to work. And, you know. Here we are. We're still here. The show. The show is not. It's canceled. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so that that the pitch was the restaurant that you opened. Um, sorry, was that that was? I'm losing track. Of sorry, Shimon. 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 And that's a tasting menu. What's up? It's a tasting menu with no menu. Okay. We do whatever we want. Got it. So that's fun. There's uh, a lot of places doing we, that. We enjoyed it. Like, I mean, I thought it was fun. Yeah. You know, what's on the menu? None of your business. Whatever yeah. you get is what you get. If you what, don't like it, don't come back. What we feed you. Yeah. The music's yeah. too loud. Can you turn it down? No, we cannot. <laughs> well, then we're leaving. I'm like, well, have and a great it, life. And how did that, is it still going strong to this? Oh time? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Oh I yeah. Love we love Maybe. Shimon. Nice. I love that. Um, so at what point did you start thinking, okay, if we're going to scale beyond these three locations, that's where we're at, where uh-huh. we're at in the, at this point in your story, right? Three yes, locations. Correct. Shimon, younger brother, George's place. Mm-hmm. What do we need to do? Uh, great question, brother, because I looked at my brother, uh, the Pete, and I said, my man, uh, we could open a thousand restaurants. If we don't own any real estate, what are we doing? And the hunt began for just something. And you're either somebody that has an idea and is looking for a location, or you have a location and then you have an idea. We're the type that we see a location and then we have the idea because uh, different locations have different personalities. Now we're leasing everything at this point, correct? Yeah. I would say that's probably the safer way of doing it is is reverse engineering, starting with the end of mind. Like what mm-hmm. do we have to work with? Yes. What's the market here? What's missing? Uh-huh. And then filling the void. Whereas if you're so dead set on whatever it is you want to do, you try to squeeze it into a space that doesn't make sense or right. a market that doesn't make sense. Right. I, I like that way better. Yeah, um, absolutely. So- was this a BYOB? They're all BYOBs, brother. Everything. We don't have a liquor license still. Okay, so I'm curious about that. I mean, <laughs> so let's let's wrap up that original right, right. train uh-huh. of thought where beyond three locations, can we do this by ourselves? Or do we need to start bringing on partners? That's kind of what I'm, I'm curious about. That's where Georgie Jazz Hands comes in. Okay. George Brandon, VP. Got it. So it's me, Peter, Nico, uh, Nico is not owning a business at this time, but I would say Nico is the reason that we're allowed to do these things because he has a uh, home on lockdown. Got it. We found a location, which I home home is, uh, H2? so yeah, like George's place beachfront and then YB's right there and, uh, people respect and follow him. That doesn't happen very often. And he just kept everything just 
So when you say home, is that George's place? I would say George's place is okay. like home base. I mean, everything started from there, so we yeah. call it kind of like home base. And you got five locations. Yeah, and now we're kind of moving around. So yeah. we come across a property actually right down the street from here in this little area in Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey, where a building was for sale for 429000 It's run down, but it's got some character. It's built in 1908, and it's zoned for a restaurant. <laughs> So there was a restaurant in there. It failed. There was another restaurant in there. It failed. They put it up for sale, 420000 I offered 350000 because I looked at my brother. I'm like, we need a property. He's like, what do you want to do there? I'm like, a George's place. He's like, oh, okay. Let's, let's just fucking do it. I put the offer in for three fifty. The seller writes me a letter and in capital letters says, go F yourself. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's not very nice. So uh, the property stays empty uh, for another year and a half. And then I get a phone call. Uh, are you still interested in that property? And I said, I'm very interested at 265. And next thing you know, uh, we're in. So we opened George's Place Courthouse. We own the property. And I looked at my brother. And I said, okay, we're good. However, careful. What's the word we use? Uh, careful trying to get happier than happy. Mm. And this is where growth and growing pains come in. Uh, we have four locations and we're just two business owners. We have everything under a different LLC. And I looked at my brother and I'm like, oh, this is a lot. It's a lot. Hence, George Brandon. George Jazz Hands comes and he was working for us. I had met him a year and a half earlier. Nico had brought him on as a server. Where was he working? Uh, he started at George's Place Beachfront. I Got walked it. in the door. He uh, was on he, his hands and knees cleaning out a. No, he was not. The exact opposite, brother. I'm going to tell you the exact opposite thing. He said, this is uh, Nico introduced us. And he did a he did a twirl like around <laughs> and then stuck his hand down and said, hey, I'm George. Nice to meet you. And I'm like, hey, pleasure, man. And two seconds later, I pulled Nico aside. And I said, get rid of me. Creeps me the fuck out. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> over the next year and a half, I noticed that this guy's just a hustler. He's all over. So, you know, him and Nico. And we made an offer to George. Hence, I would say how Kara Restaurant Group was born. You could say it was born back in 2000 when we first started, but I'm going to say it was born in 2017. Yeah, uh, me and my brother came to the conclusion that why don't we give him a couple of points off of every restaurant? When I say a couple of points, that means a percentage of sales. So let's give him a salary, but let's give him not profit sharing, not a percentage. Let's give him like 3% of gross sales of each restaurant and just have him attack. And I would say two days later, I'm like, you know what? That's not fun. How about this? Sorry, can I have another cigarette? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're gonna take a break to make a, we're gonna take another break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. I was just told now's the time to break. <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> he's like <laughs> <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and labor cost in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time on creating great guest experience. Margin Edge combines purchases from your invoices and sales data from your POS, which allows you to get real-time costing, get a daily controllable P&L, and send information directly into your accounting system. Margin Edge integrates with 60-plus POS systems and dozens of accounting systems. Manage everything from one central location. 
inventory, recipes, plate costs, ordering, and bill pay. Margin Edge was created by restaurant people for restaurant people. And as a matter of fact, Margin Edge founders continue to operate restaurants to this day. Head to MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. There are a lot of elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Are you connecting with your diners enough and with the right message? Or could your kitchen put out more orders than your dining area has room for? It can be a lot and very overwhelming when you got into this business for the food and the people. And that's why restaurants get Pop Menu. Pop Menu is the restaurant technology designed to make growing your restaurant easy. With Pop Menu, you can attract more guests to your website that's designed to easily collect their contact info and data so you can see what your guests love and why they dine with you. With Pop Menu, you can also stay top of mind and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that drives new and repeat business. And also, Pop Menu lets you make all your systems work better together, improve margins, and conquer the chaos of restaurants' digital presence. Pop Menu, technology for restaurants ready to grow. If you are a Restaurant Unstoppable listener, you can get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. We've had our cigarette break. We're yes. back. And oh, um, we were talking about the structure, the formation of the group. And you're getting into it. You're about, just about to tell us how it's all structured. Um, we're talking about first it was you're going to give them 3% of every restaurant. Yes. Gross of 3%. Uh-huh. And then he said, no. Yeah, I was thinking of that director of operations thing, but you know what? It's not profit sharing. It's not whatever. It's like, you know what? It's just based on sales, sales based for yeah. every restaurant. We have four restaurants right now, 3% plus a salary. I'm thinking like 80 grand and you just run shit. And that's when I had another aha moment. I'm like, how about we do this? And I said, George's Place Courthouse at that time was our second busiest restaurant to uh, George's Place on the beachfront. I said, George, like, what do you want to do with your life? He's like, well, I'm going to move to... Uh, His name is actually George, too, so it makes sense that he's paying. Uh, you know, it helps, right? <laughs> Hi, I'm George. He's like, uh, I'm going to move me and the family to uh, Florida. And I'm like, no, you're not. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you're not going anywhere. He's like, uh, okay. Have you ever wanted a restaurant? He's like, it's my dream. I said, I thought so, because we kind of talked about it before. I said, how would you like this restaurant? He's like, uh, what do you mean? I'm like, how would you just like this restaurant? Just, it's yours. Uh, yeah. Like he owns it 100% out. Yes. Wow. And that's when I came up with the idea of how about we build a team of business owners? How do I show great, great employees? I don't want to pay people. I want to be part of a team of business owners and teach them how to be business owners. And that's why I say that's how the the real group was born because it was just my brother and myself. And he took it and ran with it, to be honest with you. So we take a little bit off uh, the back end, a couple points, and no money up front. The restaurant's ready to go. There's already sales there. So let's say I was taking, I don't know, let's say I say, give me 10% of gross. No rent, no nothing, just 10%. Just like that original deal with my right. father-in-law back in the day. 
Uh, so he goes in. I watch him go through all the struggles that I went through. My brother went through. But you know what? You have an existing business. It's working. You have an LLC. Now you're learning numbers. Now you're learning the real shit. And just like I went through it, just like my brother went through it, he's going through it. Well, he's this feeling. The, this is the third George's. This is the second George's. Okay, the second so that George. property that we had bought, was the right. original George's, still on the beachfront. Got it. Then we bought the George's here. Me and my brother started running it. We had four restaurants, and we're just running around like it's too much. It was too much. So instead of hiring more people or hiring that person to run shit, I said, you know what? Let's just give him a business. All I'm going to say is, uh, you know, after the first year, he raised the sales at this George's Place location. Now, he owns the business. I'm not there. I'm not on the books. We're running stuff. He raises the sales. I say, uh, okay, let's go nine points now instead of 10 points of gross. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, this is how this works. I'm not just going to keep that number there for the rest of your life. I'm going to go lower. You raise the sales. I go lower. Yeah, I'm getting mine. I'm happy. Yeah, so if you raise the sales to a million, then we'll go down to this much. If you raise it to the, yeah. And then it clicked for him. He's like, oh. I have complete control. Yes, absolutely. And that's it. And what do we do? We go open another place. And then Nikos finally comes into the picture because he was born and bred to do this. Nikos the other place? Nikos is not a business owner yet. He is current. Technically, at that time, he was still director of operations. He was still the guy. He was still running the show, but he was not a business owner. Got it. He's not a business owner. And, you know, I don't know if there was some fear there, but, you know, I've always looked at him as day one as like, you are a restaurant owner. You are a restaurant tour. People will follow you. I just don't want to pay you. I want to teach you how to hunt. I want to teach you how to do business. I want to teach you how to own a restaurant. No partners, nobody else on the LLC. It's just yours. And, you know, I remember my lawyers, you know, looking at me or the banks looking at me and like, what's in it for you? I'm like, you'll see. It's all, it always works out. I want to get into the benefits, but I want to make sure we unpackage what it looks Definitely. like. Definitely. So anything more to unpackage in terms of what that looks like? So you have, so let me understand. At this point, you had three locations. You're opening your fourth, the we second mm-hmm. George's. You go to George, Brandon, and you say, hey, you're going to own this outright. And we're going to take 10% of gross, and you're going to take all, you're going to have, what I don't know how you guys do, like owner's pair or whatever, profit. I don't know how you guys chop that up. So like- what do you, what do you, like on the back end? What you have a hundred points, ten points is going to you, right? And then you, you're left with ninety points to cover taxes, operational expenses, um, owners pay everything, profit. So mm-hmm. basically, whatever's left over is up to him to manage. And yes, absolutely. As long as we get our ten percent, you get ninety percent to take care of everything. Well, else. you know, do we always get? I mean, we don't always get the ten percent, but that's again, we'll go back to growth and sacrifice. I'm like, George, just keep going. It's it's going to work. And like we said, year one, year two, year three, you're going to see a difference. And I got you. My brother's got you. That's why the number goes down if you raise the sales because there's a future there. Right. A lot of people are, are in. There's a reason uh, to show up. Yeah, there's a lot of people in leases to where you know there's 3%, 5%, 7% compounding interest year over year on their lease. You know, the landlord wins, but you have to keep up with that. And I, I think there's there's a failure rate there right. somewhere. Some people have some really, really great deals. So the fifth location, what was that? The fifth location is actually where we're sitting, brother. Oh, cool. You know, That's and uh, we saw, I had driven by this building probably 20 years. And I said, you know what? If that place ever came up for sale, I don't care what it takes. We're getting it. What is the appeal? 
uh, you know, the exterior, the brick, the original hardwood floors, you know, the, the upstairs, the, the residential aspect to it. And, you know, the outside, the inside just spoke to me. But this was a shoe store for 60 years. I think it was called a cobbler. They call it a cobbler. So you bring your shoes here, they fix it, they do whatever. It was, it was uh, any cobbler pie as a little homage. Well, you'll see a little shoe outside. That's the original shoe on the window. Oh, yeah. So we just kept that as that as our homage. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and then next door was a jewelry store. I just like I said, I just love the outside of the building. It reminded me of Philly. You know, there's not a lot of, of brick structures around here. What do you know? You know, I was just waiting at the stoplight. Uh, right outside and I just happened to turn my head and there was a for sale sign in the window. It was the first day it was on the market. Building or business? Building. Nice. Yes. I called and he said, uh, well, technically somebody already made an offer. I said, is it in writing yet? And he said, no. I said, well, I'm putting an offer in right now in writing. How much is it? They're like, uh, 225,000. I'm like, what dollars? That's it. Uh, yeah, I'm in. Next thing you know, there's four people bidding on it. And one happened to be a chef, uh, a James Beard nominated chef. And I said, wow, he'd be really great for the community. So I approached the chef and I said, listen, why don't we buy the building together, own the property together, but you open up your restaurant and do whatever you want because you're an amazing chef. And he said, no, I don't think so. And I'm like, just so you know, I'm not going to lose on this one. And, you know, we went to bidding and, uh, you know, I won. I, I, we may have overpaid my brother and I, but it, it's really what is a property worth to you. So yeah. we came in here and we gutted the place and we went to court and we changed it to restaurant. And here we are. So is this where Nico comes in? Uh, no, he does not. So we were talking about Nico. When- yes. I'm like, come on, Nico, join the party. <laughs> He's like, it's not really my style. I'm like, okay. what? You're being picky now? So come he on, my wanted Bettini to be his. He wanted, uh, he, you know what? I respect him for this. He waited until he saw something that spoke to him. And you know what? I'm like, candy goes both ways. Well, careful what you wish for, because yeah. that could go on for a long time. Right. But as we're getting more and more phone calls, Eric, you know, the first 10 years, I didn't get any phone calls. Then like in the 2010 to 2018 range, get a couple phone calls in the off season. Hey, what do you think about this? And now, especially now, now the phone calls are coming in, going back to consistency, building credibility. Now we don't have to look. Now we get some great phone calls of people that just say, we would like to have you in here, whether it's as a tenant. And I think now that we're leasing uh, only properties that are absolute home runs because we like to buy the property. Yeah. So going back to here, we bought this property because we loved it. And it wasn't about the money. It's just about just loving something whether it's real estate or your so business this is after you make george a partner correct so you kind of you already have this idea of giving out partnership to people to make the greater vision work mm-hmm. so was this just internal between who owned this well we who owned, all right so the fourth location or fifth location before uh before that we also had another gentleman that was in the group by the name of something or other and that person took over the younger brother and we did the same deal. Got it. And then we bought this building. So we had two owner operators. How many times have you done this up to right now? Uh, well, how many places are there? 13, uh, one, two, three brick and mortars. Yep. I'm counting three. Overall, we've done it probably 18 times, 18 times. So, so what else partners are still new, no, no, that's a whole other chapter of this book, brother. It's not for everybody and careful what you wish for, because even though the deal is a home run deal, no money in, no money down. So 
Yeah. Let's wrap up the benefits of doing Definitely. this. Uh-huh. What, are, what are the benefits from your perspective? Why has this worked for you? Well, if you're an employee. This being giving out partnership, just to be clear. Uh, it, see, this is where it gets tricky. Is it a partnership? How is it a partnership? Because well, you tell me. I don't know. I'm asking you. <laughs> you know it's almost like we're sitting down at the bank yeah. and they're going, wait a second. <laughs> so you're not anywhere on the books or on the LLC? No, I'm just there to guide. So think of it as, uh, I don't know, think of it as we're going to war, right? Who's the first person out on the horse that, you know what? They know they're going to get destroyed, but that's the person. I feel like that's my job now. So I feel like my purpose in life is to take really great people, put them in a winning situation, and that doesn't mean pay you a shitload of money. That means teaching you Coach, again yeah. yeah, how to hunt yeah, you know, and navigate through this. And I find that it gets easier, but it's not for everybody. That's, that's the thing. But when you get the right group together, which is, I believe, I know what we have now, you can do anything, brother. So, so the benefit is, like, what are the clear benefits of this approach? The clear benefits? Yeah. Uh, it's very unorthodox. Uh, what if I told you that these were all handshake deals and there was no contracts anywhere? Would you believe me? I would believe you. Why would you, we? <laughs> I, I don't know if I would agree with you that that's the best, but I think there's um, something to be said about extending trust. You got to give trust before you expect to get it. I, I love that you said that because I feel like, uh, the crew, all the people that you see on there. I think just recently over the past year or two, there is complete and utter trust that I am a sick individual. Yeah. Uh, and when you don't have to tell somebody, trust me, and you can automatically tell that they do trust you. So when I say there's no contra, I mean. Yeah. Understanding what I know about human nature and people and hearing right. what you've said, I would assume one of the benefits you're getting is the sense of autonomy and personal growth Ooh. and mm-hmm. these things that we all need, right? Yeah. So like, hey, this is yours. Treat it like you own it because you do. Right. And I'm going to teach you. I'm going to help you grow. If you look again, like I, I probably preach Maslow hierarchy needs way too much, but physiological needs, security. Mm-hmm. Do you see me? Am I growing? Have I reached my purpose in life? Huh. So do you see me? Yes. Here's a restaurant. Am I growing? Yes, because I'm coaching you mm-hmm. and you're, do I have autonomy? Yes. Like now that you have the tools and the knowledge, you have the ability to, to shape your future based off of how hard you work. Absolutely. brother. So like that's, Perfect. those are the benefits that I recognize, but All what right. are, okay. Flip side. I have another flip side too. Go ahead. Go, no, you, uh, my flip side is that it's not all nurturing, happy coaching. Okay, that Yanni, that's one side, but there's another side of me, brother. That's not pros very pleasant. And cons. Don't yeah. get the pros out. What it's are not the very, cons? the cons are, are me and the sickness and the passion of wanting to be better. You know, we talked about, we use Tom Brady as an example. Like when I see somebody that's complacent, like in their business, that, that, that triggers me a little bit. So uh, I become uh, somebody different. I become somebody that's not nurturing and I start becoming pushy because I want it to be better. And I know I can make things worse by doing that, but I just can't hold it in. And I don't know how to say it properly, but I know I come across as just uh, some kind of monster that doesn't want to stop. And I can only imagine what like the outside surrounding people, not the people in the group, but I'm talking about maybe their family members, maybe. The and, yeah, they're like, <laughs> oh, he's, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's purpose driven. And, you know, I like knowing that I'm never going to get married again. Uh, I'm never going to have any more kids. Shout out to my boys. One's in Arizona. One's uh, just came back from Berkeley in Boston. Oh. So uh, no more kids, no more marriage. 
Right. They were being college right now or just graduating. They're in school right now. Yeah. yeah. Both of them. Yeah. 20 years. Definitely big daddy. Yeah. Now, now you've unleashed a beast. Yeah. Because now I've been with the boys. My youngest just left for Arizona. Now I'm like, uh, uh oh, now I'm really unstoppable. Oh man. <laughs> nice. So what happens next? With. Well, if you're unstoppable. Wait, do we, do we unpackage all the cons? Ah, uh, I could go on forever, brother. I mean, the cons are just, uh, so what have you learned about how to do this approach better? Because I'm, I'm assuming this was 2012. You did this first model. You tried this first approach of giving equity, right? How have you learned? Of giving equity? That would be to Georgie, uh, George Brandon in right. 2017. 17. You know, my brother and I are so one different years. story. It's been five years or almost almost six years. Well, think about year. it. We opened the first George's place in 2002, yeah. and then we didn't open the other one for 15 years later. I guess through trial and error right. of, of taking this approach, and if somebody's listening to this shaking their head like, I think I could do this. I have some people I could give opportunity to. I'm sick of being alone. I want to spread out the love. I want to give opportunity. And they're thinking they might want to take this approach. What is the air of caution, if any? I don't know, brother. You've talked to many restaurant tours. <laughs> Who the fuck is doing this? Well, I mean, similar models, but not quite like this. But not like this. What, if, if somebody else wants to do this, what is your advice for them? Uh, you have to be very unselfish. Very, very, very unselfish. Uh, because it has to work. The whole idea is not to pin somebody down so you get your money. Like, I gave you the example of George. That was the first deal. Yeah. Uh, we're not doing those deals anymore. Now we're doing two points. So it all goes down to where for a lot of people, oh no, you're making more money. I make more money. Right. Uh, I'm the complete fucking opposite, brother. Like You make just, more money, I make less. Yes. But how does that come back around? To what? Well, now we've... Uh, I think we're already kind of unpackaged that. Yeah, listen, we're starting, you know, the Amazon store. Yeah. We've done the, uh, you know, you mentioned the podcast. Yeah. You know, we're, we get to journey. You know, I'm working on two books. Me and my brother are working on the cookbook. I'm working on my own book. It frees so, you up to work on the business, not in the business. Right. And then we're getting more and more into real estate with more properties. And I think that's where uh, the growth comes in. It's all surrounded around the restaurant group, but it really revolves around the people. I'm not here without them. Maybe they'll say, I'm not here without Yanni. But I said, who gives a shit? Let's just go get them. You know what I mean? And we're not going to take just any deal that comes to our lap. Now we're going to offer the deal. And if you want us in your property and we're leasing and not buying it, we're going to ask for the deal that we want. Oh, I can't do that. Well, good luck. Put somebody else in here and they might fuck it up and go from there. Anybody that's listening and they want to do this, you have to completely just burn yourself down to the ground and reinvent yourself and just say, you know what? Just give. Mm. And it's not a money thing because what's the best part about teaching people? Uh, watching them grow? Yeah. Yeah. You just got to meet George. Yeah. He's much different than he was five years ago, brother. He didn't even spin when he shook my hand. No, he's different now. <laughs> Took all the life out of him. He's suffered. He's stressed. But I love it. I love it because if... One of the restaurateurs in the group with their own, that's why I have the, everybody in their own LLC, their own business. There's nowhere to hide. Yeah. You cannot hide. Yeah. Uh, if you have two people on an LLC in your business, we talked about it before, about 50-50, and I, that's a recipe for disaster. I'm sorry. I, I know there are some partners that you could probably point out, and it works well, but two people on one LLC on an operating restaurant with daily sales in and out, you're married yeah. to each other. And I just don't, I don't, I don't like it. Just yeah. so teach. we, 
I think we've unpackaged that pretty good. Okay. I am curious about the BYOB. Um, a lot of restaurants, their bread and butter is alcohol sales. Right. So why, why BYOB? What's the benefit of not having a liquor license and having your patrons bring their own alcohol versus making money off of those sales? Well, you know, liquor is based on a population as many licenses that come out. So let's say you're in New York City and there's a population of 11 million and you get a liquor license for every 3,000 people. You could probably scoop one up for five grand. Uh, down here, I'll say in Cape May, uh, there are none available to buy. And the last one sold for $1.6 million, Holy I shit. believe. Right? Right in that price range. Got it. So uh, I believe the state of New Jersey in 2020, 19, somewhere around there, uh, you were never allowed to uh, advertise that you were BYOB. Uh, they passed all to where you could start advertising that you were BYOB. Because I would see it in Philadelphia all the time. And I fell in love with all these little corner spots that just were BYOB, you bring your bottle of wine and just kind of go from there. How we've managed to grow without a liquor license is that um, I would say the majority of our places serve uh, breakfast or brunch. And I could make the argument that the profit margins on breakfast and liquor are the same. So when somebody asks me, how do you make it? You know, you could take a bottle of liquor and there's no expiration date or it lasts for a long time to where food does have an expiration date. But as far as profit margins go, I would make the same assumption. And that's why I think we can still continue to grow. Like at the end of the day, who owns a restaurant and just says, man, I can't wait to do breakfast. And I'm just talking about a little more upscale, casual restaurants. Do you sell a lot of orange juice? Yeah, sure. People bring in champagne. Bring it on, big daddy. Let's go. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, BYOB, I would say 95%, even more, are all dinner and it's all wine. No hard liquor. You can only do wine and beer. But there's something to be said. And, you know, you'll have a four top come in and bring three bottles of wine. Okay, it's a party. And I think, I mean, are they up north? I mean, do you have BYOBs? How does that work in terms of liability? Because I know, what what is that law if you, like, I can't remember what it's called. Dram law or something like that? Like, if you leave... And you get in an accident and you were Yeah, all, there are laws to where uh, like the server cannot um, uh, pour it for you, correct? Like, well... Well, uncork it. Uncork it. You know, some places do a corking fee and yeah. anything like that. To be honest, but yeah, I don't know. I don't remember seeing any BYOBs in Boston while visiting my son up there. Yeah, it's not big up there. It's not a thing, right? No, I don't think no, so. No. Uh, well, I, I love it. And I've noticed more places now are doing it. What the hell is the name of that law that if you get in a car accident after being served and you if you damage property, I can't remember what it's called. Um, honestly, man, I think there's a lot we could talk about. I just want to make sure I'm not, I'm not cutting you short. Is no, anything? no, no, you're good, brother. You're good. If there's anything that, uh, that I'm missing, but like I said, I could, I could not shut the fuck up for days, you know, when it comes to this, because this is what I live for. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as we talk about, you know, different owner operators or different, you know, we talked about creativity having no end. Uh, that's how I feel at this point in my life. Like, there's no end. We can do anything. We went into durability and profitability. You know, it'll always show up. But when I see somebody's house and it's nicer than their per se restaurant, I got a real fucking problem with that. You know, because when you're thinking about, you know, dressing up nice and like we said, being cool and pulling up in your fucking car and your house is nice. Yeah. Like, what are, what are you doing? And you're paying your, your, you know, line staff minimum wage. Oh, uh, you know, the, this guy, the, they ask for, you know, $2 raise. I said, if I can, come on, uh, what are we talking? You know, I, I can't do that, but it's right. not my, it's not my thing. Yeah. Sorry. 
Um, so Restaurant Unstoppable's mission is to change the world through inspiring, empowering, and transforming the industry. Along this note, this idea of, of, of change, where do you think we are now, and what do you think we could do better collectively as an industry? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Did I already say how long we got? What can we do better as an industry? With, I don't know how to answer this. I'm thinking you know, as an industry, as a restaurant owner, as a restaurant worker, as somebody that's in the field, what can we do better as an industry? I don't know if everybody's going to like my answer, but the first thing that popped into my head, it's your answer. Oh shit. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) I think the whole, uh, the, the, the fairy tale of the QSR. And that's the first thing that popped into my head. The QSR means that there's no tables, there's no chairs. You just walk into a place. There's a counter, I'm not going to say service restaurant for the record. Yeah. I'm not going to say subway or Chipotle because you know what? There's a difference between those places uh, that are franchises that are in bigger cities that actually have a line out the fucking door. And I think sometimes, you know, we had talked about franchising before. I think there's a dream that, you know what? I don't want to do any work. I want to do the easiest thing possible. I want to make a lot of fucking money. Uh, That's not the art of the restaurant. That's not, it, it is an art. I don't care what anybody says. You can learn from different or other people, but if it's just a money play, that's what I don't like. How do you change the industry? Uh, we need more operators. We need more owner operators. We need better owner operators. I'm sorry, brother. There's a reason that a lot of restaurants go out of business. It's because people don't know what they're doing. Right. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And I still worked in 27 different places. And I opened my first and I still didn't know what I was doing. But you got to hold on to the ship. Yeah. Um, I I like it, man. All right. I like it. All right. Um, so along this, this this note of transformation, mine, every great restaurant's a great person. And I think if we're going to change the industry, it starts with changing individuals in the industry mm-hmm. and giving them that aiming point to mm-hmm. what success looks like. So along that line, how have you personally transformed over time? Who are you today versus the man you were, the Yanni you were back in 2002 when you opened your first restaurant? Uh, much more uh, violence, much more anger, much more throwing of telephones, much more frustration. That much was when more... telephones were still attached to the wall. So well, I would go through there two... was some protection. Yeah, there. but that was my favorite thing to They're throw. Only... <laughs> it was my favorite thing to <laughs> throw, throw because it. I could just take the fucking thing and just <laughs> wail it across the room. And I knew it only cost 10.99 to buy another one from Walmart. <laughs> so it'd be the first thing that I would throw. <laughs> And it would just go flying. And we had, you know, even the cordless part too. I'd just rip it out and just, you know, let out my frustration. And that was just, uh, you know, like I said, it was immaturity. But I, I didn't want to hold it in. I just wanted to let everything out. Just let it out. And I think some people appreciate it. And some called me, uh, uh, even Nikos, I think, went into some kind of schmeal about being scared of coming to work because he didn't know what was going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> Is that still the case today? No. Not Fact check? No. I don't know. Noel seems yeah. on the fence with that one. Yeah, I, I, I do have my moments. <laughs> hey, you're not perfect, but you're getting better. I yeah, I, I want to be. I want to <laughs> be less intimidating, and I, I don't realize I'm being intimidating when I am. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm going to say the maturity. I'll just leave it at that. That's yeah. the biggest difference. Well, maybe not. <laughs> I think a better understanding of what we had talked about the three things that I told you when I was uh, 20 years old restaurant by 30 millionaire or million by 40 and semi-retirement by 50. And I think now as I'm two years away from 50, now I should start thinking about 60, 70 and 80, right? Right. I should break down those things. Okay. People are living a lot older nowadays. You got to plan for it. Yeah. I I take some vitamins (laughs) here and there. The smoking doesn't help. We're going to take one more break to thank our sponsors. This has been a long episode. So it's going to be a three break type of day. We'll be right back to bust out a speed round.
Restaurant Unstoppable is partnering with CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees. CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees, invites you to learn more about their mission and their fall campaign, Serving Up Hope. CORE is an industry-focused nonprofit that provides financial grants to restaurant employees with children who face a life-altering medical crisis or natural disaster. Serving Up Hope is a national fundraising campaign and an opportunity for the restaurant industry to come together to serve those who will serve us daily. There is complete flexibility for when and how you raise money and CORE has ideas to help. Whether you choose to make a flat donation or fundraise through in-store promotions, CORE provides turnkey resources to make your partnership as simple and successful as possible. It does not stop there. Brands who commit to raising $15,000 or more for CORE during this campaign receive logo recognition on the Wall of Hope, a nationally promoted landing page that highlights the companies that have chosen to come together for our industry. Choose to participate and you will help build a culture of caring and demonstrate your support support for employees and those that qualify for a grant across the country. More than 70% of core grantees are single mothers and they critically need your help to continue to provide funds. So why wait? Showcase your commitment and leadership to help employees in our industry and sign up for the Serving Up Hope campaign today. Visit coregives.org to learn more. Together, we can serve up hope for restaurant families this fall. We're back. And typically, this is 10 questions. I'm, I've been thinking, I've been playing with the idea of the speed round to switch it up. I've been asking the same questions for almost 500 episodes. Um, one question that was recently suggested to me uh-huh. by Sean Finter, who was my most recent guest. Okay. I like it. What it makes you unstoppable? What about you and your restaurants is unstoppable that we can replicate in our own business? Uh, just acute stubbornness. A stubbornness. How do we do it? How do we do it? How do we do it better? Keep going, keep going, keep going. It, I said before, it's a sickness. It is. It really is a sickness. And I don't want to stop. Hence, unstoppable. Yeah. What is your biggest weakness? Loyalty. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're looking to grow your team? One thing that I look for to grow the team? Yeah, when you're hiring somebody or you're, you're, you know, you're growing your team, what are you looking for in that individual? Uh, that they don't have the personality of a spoon. Okay. So that spin and handshake didn't do it for you? <laughs> it was a little too much, but I, it just freaked me. It was, just, it was the timing was off, but uh, it all works out. What is the biggest challenge you're dealing with today? People. How are you overcoming it? Uh, making them disappear and bringing in new ones. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, that's, a, that's a horrible answer, bro. That's a horrible answer. Fire fast, hire slow. It's the first thing that came to my, I don't know, it's the first thing that came to my mind. There's some truth to that. Like, well, you know, if there's 100 people, 200 a people, it's a, yeah. it's a lot. And um, that's the hardest part, even if there's one business. I think that's the hardest part, you know, people. And I, I, that's why I said personality of a spoon. You know, you look for somebody you can vibe with, right. Right? right? You know, not they're the best worker. They do the best side work. But, you know, again, personality of a spoon. I want somebody that's got something anything share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team this is a core value uh trust oh yeah i know you don't like the no contract thing but fuck it man let's just go let's just go with it something about the speed of trust that's very powerful yeah listen we just came across a landlord and we made a great deal with him yeah we don't even have a lease yeah he's like you cool i'm like yeah i'm cool you cool he's like yeah i'm cool and I'm like, okay, let's go. There's 
It's definitely wrong. I don't. Guys. I'm not. We're not advising this. By the way, I'm not <laughs> advising you to do this. But go with your gut, man. I'm go not with here your to gut. tell you what to do. Man. I don't. I'm just saying. You, you know, it's working for you. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior. Oh, I just asked that question. I'm all over the place. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within the four walls of your industry or your restaurants to go above and beyond, but not common throughout the industry. Uh, stop treating your. <laughs> have you, Have you ever been in a restaurant? It feels like a morgue. There's just no life to it, brother. Like, like I mean, I'm sure I have, but I probably never went back. Ah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, we got bad reviews. I'm like, there's a lot more where that came from. They're just not on the computer or they didn't say anything and yeah. they're never coming back. Right? So, wait, so wait, what was the question? If the, <laughs> if the question is, what is one uncommon standard of service? What is the service that you're providing there? What is one uncommon standard of service? That is common within the four walls of your restaurants, but not common throughout the industry to go above and beyond guest expectation. Connection. Connection. But that's not uncommon, right? I mean, it depends on what level of connection we're talking about. Peter, P wants to say something. We got some folks off. Who the fuck are you? Where did you guys come from? Oh, good one, buddy. Okay, the, so what good Pete one. said is, how many times have you ran out of the restaurant because somebody wanted something that we didn't have? Uh, mantra number 76 is always exceed the guest expectations. Yeah. So BYOB, oh, we didn't know it was BYOB. We didn't bring any wine. What do you want? This is a grocery store down the street. I'll get you. Yeah, I'll queue up. Yeah, I'll get in my fucking car. I don't care if there's a two-hour wait. Yeah. I'll stop what I'm doing. and just I know it's just one table that you're exceeding, but that's how you do it, just yeah. one at a time. And, you know, my brother mentions that because he's seen me do it at sometimes the most inopportune time. It's not the right time for me to leave, right. but I feel like it has to get done. This so, might be a catch original, oh, and yeah? I, I'm going to try to echo it. Oh. I think that you measure hospitality by, in the moment if you're doing something and it feels like an inconvenience, then that's, if it feels like a huge fucking inconvenience, mm-hmm. then do it mm-hmm. because you're going to blow their socks off. Even a slight bit of inconvenience means that you're being unreasonable. Uh-huh. They're asking something that's unreasonable, but the fact that you do it is unexpected. And lean into the and lean into the inconvenience because that's a good in, internal signal that mm-hmm. you're about to do something that's going to be recognized mm. as hospitality. Mm. That's a mic drop. So like lean into the inconvenience. Like mm-hmm. if you feel, and the cool thing is we have the ability to override emotion inconvenience a feeling of inconvenience is an emotion uh-huh. you can override that feeling and write a new end to the story and say yeah and make that inconvenience into your highlight of the night mm. word right boom i might have learned something Fuck yeah. in a thousand episodes <laughs> what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner oh kitchen confidential uh restaurant owner Ooh, sorry i lied I just said, Kitchen Confidential. I mean, come on. What are we talking about here? Come on. Phenomenal. Uh, I'm going to go zero to one. Peter Thiel. Biggest lesson from that book? Uh, Zero to fucking one. Um, He explained, uh, I think he was doing a, uh, it's called globalization. And what is globalization? Globalization is taking a computer and then building 30 of them. Right? Zero to one is taking a, um, I'm sorry. I'm completely botched that. It's taking a typewriter and building a hundred typewriters. That's globalization. Zero to one. How do you go from zero to one? You take a typewriter and you build a computer. That's 
And when I saw, when I pictured that progress, like we can use George's place as an example, why the fuck would we open all these different kinds of restaurants? If you want to make money, just open George's places. That's it. Core focus. Yeah. One thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Spend 10 years getting it down. Uh huh. And then once you figured it out, Uh scale it. Yes. Yeah. Um, what is one piece of technology you've, you've adopted that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along these lines? Um, I, I talked about stubbornness before. I think the biggest game changer within the group was absolutely uh, me opening up to Open Table. Open Table. Why yeah. Open table? Uh, not specifically, but I'll, I'm going to say that company. I know there's different companies. But I think my stubbornness, because I don't want a fucking computer and I don't want technology. I want the restaurant. I want physical calls. I want, and when I think about, we've lost a lot of guests in the past. And I'm like, it's okay. They'll come back. So if a customer comes in, I have restaurateurs that try and squeeze them in or tell them, here's my favorite. How long's the wait? 10 minutes, 20 minutes later, they're like, oh, it's almost ready. That's called the bait and switch. Right. No, you're supposed to do the opposite. Tell them really long and then again, exceed the guests, right. exceed, then get them in. Uh, I, so I mentioned the, is there another way to say it? Um, uh, what's it called? Not open table, just the system of reservations. Cause I know there's resi and there's, there's, there's a couple booking. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good for efficiency, but I, like I said, I don't know, brother, I'm old school. I just missed the phone call and I'll call you back or they leave a message and kind of go like that. It's a weird time. I agree yeah. with you that I think that there's some people who like to talk on the phone and like, I like to talk on the phone. Uh-huh. I'm dyslexic. If you make uh-huh. me text me, like, I don't want to read anything. Uh-huh. Talk to me. Talk I'm to audible, me. That's it. Yeah. You know? I need to talk. But there are people at the same time who are get like social anxiety picking up a phone call. Right. And it's a weird, it's like, I don't know where I fall on that. I, I agree with you that I prefer uh-huh. a phone call, but I also, I don't know if I can discount the people who just want to, tap two buttons right because the argument is that offering that service is being hospitable yeah because you're meeting them where they're at i don't know i don't well i miss the days where they would have to call if they wanted to cancel instead of going on the fucking computer and saying because unless you're staring at a computer screen you're missing things and who wants to stare at a computer screen all day and be in this (sighs) or the dreaded no call no show come on man i'm with you you're gonna hold that fucking (laughs) reservation for three weeks and then cancel two hours i don't have the answers i just like to talk about (laughs) what's possible um, so the next question, so wait, how has that helped you? Why using open table uh, efficiency as we've graduated from 10 table restaurants to 20 table restaurants to now, uh, we just recently opened brine BYOB in Cape May and I believe it's 160, 170 seats. So I, yeah, if we're doing the phone call thing there at a place that big. So now I understand like with bigger places, it's just more efficiency yeah i just my the love of my life is a small restaurant with a couple tables intimate and now as we graduate to bigger ones i sometimes you kind of lose the intimacy on yeah. bigger places but yeah. yeah i like that all right this is the last question man we made it to the end are you ready oh, shit. This is a all big right one. let's go so keep those guys open what you got if you got the news you'd be leaving this world tomorrow all the memories of you your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? You're gone. Only thing we have to remember you by are these three nuggets. Pretend you're giving these nuggets to your sons. Well, my youngest son asked me uh, if he'd be okay with me get him getting a tattoo, the one that's in Arizona. I said, "Yeah, how old is he? It's your life, eighteen. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. What can you do? What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, of course. I said, just tell your mother. And uh, I said, I recommend uh, on your left ass cheek, you get, you can't save yourself to wealth. Just get out of that mindset. Don't save. Stop saving. Stop saving. Stop saving and start doing. Mm. Doing. So there, there's a lot of argument on that, but I would like to leave that wisdom when it comes down to it. That would be absolutely You can't save yourself to wealth. You cannot save yourself to wealth. You know, start doing it. That's one. It's, it's, it's the house thing. You know, are you going to save money for 10 years? The house is going to be more in 10 years. You know, make it happen today. Yeah. Do it. Do yeah. it now. What's um, I, I don't know if there's a good way of saying this about, uh, I'd like to say be cool. Just be fucking cool. You know, I just told you about trust and no contracts and I could see a little twinkle in your eye like, Ooh, but it sounds great. But, I love it. But, but I know if? like for me, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Finish. What you're no, no, you're about. good, brother. Same for me. I've just, I've heard so many different perspectives yeah. that I could equally weigh that bound, that, that scale right. with other, the people that have told me to always get it in writing. But those people probably have been burnt a bunch of times. Yeah, uh, you, we always hear the horror stories. Right. Do we always hear the good stuff? I mean, there, the more I learn, the more I realize that there is no right answer. There's There's no right. Just feel it. Just live, man. Just my job as the host of this podcast is to offer perspective. Right. That's all I'm here to do. I try to stay unbiased. I'm not perfect, Uh but if that works for you, if it's working for you, Uh then who am I to say that's not the right way to do it? I hear you, brother. Success is relative. Damn right. Uh, I'll finish with number three on the other butt cheek. Um, I would say get a tattoo of, uh, you know, play offense first. Just play offense, uh, and after that, learn how to play defense. So just start. Number two was uh, no wait. Number uh, can't save yourself to wealth. Okay. Uh, what was number two? Just start, I guess. No. Be cool. Be cool. Be cool, which number means three. trust. And number three, play some offense. Play offense first, and then play defense. Got it. I love this conversation, man. Thank you so you much. You say that to every Greek you no, talk but I, to. Yeah, I, don't I know. do I'm just love Greeks, yeah. man. I've <laughs> I know a good chunk do. of my life hanging out with Greeks. They're good people. They've taken care of me. Word. Um, they've always been generous. Nice. Um, and now is where we say, um, who do you respect and admire in the industry? If I were to get somebody on the show, somebody that you look up to as an operator, somebody, if you knew there were guests on the show, you're like, I want to hear what they have to say. What did they share? Who is that person for you? <clears throat> well, I've read this person's book. I'm going to use somebody else. Will Gardera, is that what you're thinking What's about? What's that? Were you thinking about Will Gardera? No. It's been a hot one lately. Maybe yeah? He wants me to talk to Will. Yeah. Okay. I like some of the old school guys. I, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly fascinated by, um, what's Ferran Adria's uh, brother's name again? Uh, Ferran Adria. Um, what's the brother's name? He's a fucking, he's crazy. Adria, from, um, uh, Come on, Pete. Oh, boy. I saw his ass on uh, uh, Chef. I, I want to hear more it, from him. I don't know how to spell Fran. Uh, last name, A-D-R-I-A. Deja, D- say it again. Uh, A-D-R-I-A is the last name. A- Albert. 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 Albert Adria. I don't even know where the fuck he is. I think he's in Spain, brother, but he's just a sick individual. I want to take this thing international. Huh? Oh, you're going to. What? I would love you, to. Oh, I'm you are, brother. He's <laughs> a Spanish chef. He is currently head of tickets at Michelin One Star Restaurant in Barcelona. It was formerly the head pastry chef at El Bully. Bully, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's a sick, uh, just, uh, you know, and he doesn't speak English. Uh-oh. 
Well, you're really I, making this tough for me, man. Uh, that's all right. No, he has a translator. He has a translator. I'm just saying. Um, locally? Who would like locally? Am I allowed to say Mario Batali anymore? He's, is, he, is he still Let in trouble? Let him tell a story. Let huh? him tell a story. Like, you know, like, did he do some fucked up shit? Yeah, but have we heard his story? I would love to have an unedited version of his perspective. Right? I mean, listen. Like, what's your side of the story? I grew up on Malta Mario. I grew up on the show Malta Mario, and I would sit there with a fucking notebook and just write what he was doing. They do some effed up shit. Okay. All right. But like you said, what'd you say? Did, He's got a story. You got a story. And can we learn something from him? You don't think we can learn anything from Mario? Yes. And the, and like the yes. Uh, am I allowed to say that? I'm not going to piss people Joe off, Bar- am I? Joe Bastianich? Joe Bastianich. Yeah, well, I can't speak today. Uh, well, Joe Joey. or Mario. Let's do this. Uh, me and Joe, well, look, we got into it. But oh, shit. Yeah. He said, oh, you're a little charmer, aren't you? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> he punked me and my brother off on the show. So I'm still a little bitter about that. Got it. Yeah. Well, Albert and um, why am I at brain farting? Uh, Albert and Mario. Mario. Albert. Right. Let's do Albert outside of the U.S. Let's do Mario inside the U.S. All right. Look out, guys. I'm coming after you. I That's what I'm talking about. And if we enjoyed today's episode, how can we connect with you? What's the best way to connect? With me? Yeah. If you want to maybe come work for you, come learn from you, be mentored by you. I don't know. Yeah, you think everybody's going to... Like me after this interview? Maybe you want to tell you how much of an idiot you are. I, I'm, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for it. I'm ready for it, brother. Right, get your ass in the car and drive down to Cape May <laughs> County, New Jersey. You can find us at one of 13 places. I do not think that for the record. Just, but yeah. the <laughs> Just ask really for Yanni. Thank you. I have um, very much as well, brother. It's a pleasure to finally meet you. I enjoy everything that you do. It's just fucking first class. You're first class, brother. Thank you. Thank you very much. Definitely. Uh, did we get the contact information? You said it, I think, right? The contact information? For you to reach out. Am I going to... Do you not want people to reach out? You want to throw my phone number out there? No, you don't. I mean, that's up to you. Info at carrestaurantgroup.com. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, you want to do that? Info, that just ask for me and I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you. And this is episode 1028. So head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 1028. We'll have a summary of today's discussion. Uh, as well as any tools, services recommended, and how to connect with Yanni. Uh, now I say there is no question mm. you are unstoppable. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Cheers. There is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Yanni, for coming on, sharing your story, being an inspiration, and uh, showing what happens when you're willing to give up a little um, you can, if you, if you're willing to give up a little, you can go, you can get so much more, give up a little short term, get a lot more long term. And I think Yanni is living proof of that, uh, creating opportunity for others and extending trust, the power of trust, the speed of trust, uh, really interesting stuff. And I just also want to say special thanks to Yanni and his team for showing me a great time in Cape May. They took me out Friday night, uh, and I got to meet all the different owners and it was it was a special time and um i wish all my interviews could be just as special they are all special but you know being able to connect that's really kind of the the, the goal going forward is is being on the road slowing down and uh just really taking it beyond the interview um and hopefully with your support your downloads we can do that i want to get an rv i don't know if you've been paying attention during the uh conversations i've been hinting i've been teasing i've been alluding to this is the future of restaurant stoppable and uh, in order to make that happen we need your support 
Uh, there's a ton of ways you can support the show. You can support our sponsors. You can use our affiliate links. You can come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. You can tell everyone you know who's aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry that this podcast exists. Or well, One other way you can support the show, um, you can sell me an RV. <laughs> Do you know somebody who has a lightly used RV? Or maybe you can let me know that uh, there's a spot in your city, your neighborhood, for me to park my RV when I'm traveling. So anything I can do to save money also helps. Uh, so I think that's that on the RV talk. Uh, pretty excited about it. Kind of nervous that I'm actually declaring it out loud. The shit's real now. Going to make it happen. Uh, I do want to let you know we have some events coming up in Restaurant Stoppable Network. Monday, October 9th at 3.30 p.m. I'm hosting another coffee with Eric. Uh, and we have our discovery uh, call with Casey Anton all around profit first. We've been talking a lot about profit first. I believe wholeheartedly in profit first. I use profit first. I think you should too to protect yourself from yourself. Um, And that's going to be October 24th at 8 a.m. If you're interested in learning more about profit first. And then we have the power skills in restaurant business with Ed Doherty. Uh, Ed is a predictive index uh, practitioner. Uh, you can work with him if you're interested in predictive index. Actually, going to be connecting with Ed over the next couple of days in Philadelphia with uh, the Defined Hospitality Group to go deeper into how PI helped them. Uh, and then Monday, November 13th, is the the, the following coffee with Eric. Um, what else? Oh. I cannot say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make this show possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi with Sumadre Podcast for your editing and copywriting. Thank you, Callan Miola, for all of your support at Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And thank you to Anna Tazin with the Good Kind Consulting for all of your executive support and just counsel. You've been awesome. Everyone's been awesome. I'm so grateful for my team. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.